Hey, if you're loving the World Cup, check out the soccer podcast we have on The Ringer. Stadio FC is the OG. Righty's house with Ian Wright, another great one. And then we just added Counterpressed with Flo Lloyd Hughes and Friends. So there's three good ones you can listen to after you watch all of these great games. The Ringer Podcast Network. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? little doubleheader, little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. Every Sunday night, I've been breaking down White Lotus with Joanna Robinson. We're going to be doing it again for episode six, the second to last episode. Right after White Lotus ends on HBO, we have our podcast up around like 7.02 Pacific time, 10.02 Eastern time. So look for that on Sunday. Did a new rewatchables this week as well, planes, trains, and automobiles. Did some great hottest takes. I had a good one this week, but Craig Korolbeck has been the uh, MVP of the hottest take this year. And he had a hottest take about cannibalism that, I don't know, it redefined the medium. It was like when um, Marty McFly played the electric guitar for everybody for the first time. That's how it felt watching him unleash that. It was the hottest take I think we've ever had. So there you go, cannibalism. What else can I tell you? Uh, taping this part of the podcast, it is 8.30 Pacific time. It was a question heading into this Bills-Pats game. Would the Bills-Pats recap make it after Pearl Jam as its own segment or just squeeze it in the top of the intro because the Pats blew it? Well, it was worse than them blowing it. They sucked. The Bills are way better than them. It was the same story as the last two games, Bills-Pats, where you just have a Bills team that is just so much faster, more talented, um, just have the Pats number at this point. The Pats were in this position on the other side for years and years and years um, with really all of the AFC East. And now it's flipped. Not a lot of hope. This was the night that Kyle texted me that he's finally lost faith in Mac Jones. There's some real questions about the coaching on this team. I don't think Belichick as much as just the the coordinators and the assistants and the fact that Matt Patricia is running this weird offense and the team is sloppy and just does, seems undisciplined. The only bright spot of the whole game was that Marcus Jones doing a Tyreek Hill impression for 48 yards. But um, it's pretty grim, which is what I expected. And that was why, for two reasons, we crafted the first segment of this podcast like we did. First of all, because uh, I think there's some smoke in what we're going to talk about the first segment, but also 
it's time to start talking about it. What do we do? What happens with this Patriots team? And do they care that they're, they've been supplanted by the Celtics? The Celtics are the best team in the NBA. They have one of the best players in the NBA who's becoming the face of Boston, Jason Tatum. Um, they're incredibly fun to watch night after night after night. The Bruins are also crushing it. And the Pats are really going to start being an afterthought. And that's one of the reasons I want to do the first segment that we're about to do with Peter Schrager, talking football with him, doing uh, some underdog parlay stuff with him. And then Ben Solak's going to come on for a new segment about um, matchups that he loves. And that this this is a really good podcast. I did a big million dollar picks. I've had a whole epiphany with million dollar picks. And then last but not least, my friend Nathan Hubbard came on to talk about the death of Christine McVie from Fleetwood Mac, a band that we loved. So that's the podcast. You better buckle up for the first segment. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, RIP to the 2022 Pats. I'd rather see them go 6-11 and 11 than 7-10 and 10 or 8-9 or 9-8. and eight. They're not going to get to 10-7. and seven. Uh, They're probably better off going backwards at this point. Maybe that's deep down what they want to do, but Grim night for the Patriots fans. And guess what? I know you don't feel bad for us, and that's fine. We won six Super Bowls. We're good. We have the Celtics. All right, let's bring in Pearl Jam. All right, taping this part of the podcast, it is 11.30 Pacific time. Peter Schrager is here. I'm on steroids. It's finally murdered this five-week Ebola virus I had. I feel great. I feel like I could go outside and fight people. I feel like I could pick all 16 games. There's 15 games this week. I feel like I could play left tackle for the Pats. I am just energized. I'm jazzed. I'm pumped. I'm ready to go. I love this version of you. A couple years ago, I, it happened to me like a Super Bowl week. I was on the show screaming in front of a live audience, took the steroids. Honestly, you feel like you're Iron Man. You're, you're, yeah. Last year during the Super Bowl week, McVeigh lost his voice. We're texting. I said, take this stuff. I won't name the drug or whatever it is, but it's a, it's a simple, you know, it's a steroid yeah. that you get over the And again, Superman. And then he went on to win a Super Bowl. I'm fully convinced it's because of whatever you're taking right now to get you through these podcasts. I remember I called Barry Bonds in like 1998. I'm like, you got to try this. It's great. <laughs> I know you have a cough. And then he's just like, he wrote it for four years. Uh, we are starting the podcast with something a little unusual. Okay. We're going to bring in nephew Kyle. Okay. He's going to join us. All right. Because I have, I have a topic that I'm very excited to bring up on this podcast. And Kyle have, needs to be part of it. I have not been briefed There's on Kyle. this. Yeah, have not, have... Neither of you have been briefed. Turn the camera on, Kyle. It's Is on. it on? He's wearing it's a Pats on. jersey. Great. Yes. With the red sleeves. <laughs> you can't make it up. I think there's a chance Tom Brady comes back to the Patriots next season. <laughs> Come on. Let's go. Say this to me. Let's go. There's some breadcrumbs being dropped. Oh, I've seen I've seen some breadcrumbs. Let, but let Bill take the stage. All right. We'll go, we'll go big picture. We'll go. Sorry, Kyle. This is why you need to be on camera. Why are you for saying this? this to me? This is why it's such a great YouTube clip. Let's go backwards. Why does he leave New England? Right? 20 years in the same place. You start, you get tired of your boss. You feel underappreciated. You have a wife who wants to get out of Massachusetts. Yeah. Let's go to Florida. 
But really, it was it was partly I can't win here anymore. This is why LeBron James left Cleveland in 2010 and then left Miami in 2014. It wasn't I'm coming home. It wasn't about that. It was his best place to win, and the coming home was an extra part. It's an extra piece. Oh, I get to do this. I'm coming up now. Is actually they have the number one pick and they have Kyrie Irving and they have a bunch of lottery picks and you have a chance to win the title in Cleveland. Brady goes to Tampa. Why does he go to Tampa, Schrager? Ultimately, as a football decision, why did it make sense? Loaded roster, draft picks in the top 10 every single year, and basically the keys to the kingdom. We'll get in all your friends. You can bring Alex Guerrero. You can bring Gronk. You can bring whoever you want. It's yours. Just please join our team. It's a move to win a title. Get away from Belichick. Maybe work on the legacy a little bit. All right, he does it. It wins. It's successful. It's great. But now we're two years later. He's going through a divorce. You start to really look around and see, who are my friends? What have I done with my life? What matters? What's my legacy? Is my legacy I'm just the greatest quarterback ever? Who do I belong to? Who are my people? And you look around, your family's in tatters. You're on this Tampa Bay team that sucks. We're going to talk about them in Million Dollar Picks later. You got your title out of them, but you're not getting another title out of them. Thought about going to Miami. That door's closed. They have a quarterback, too, Niners, they have Trey Lance, Jimmy G. You can't go home to San Francisco. You start looking at that Pat situation again. What happened, what, four or five weeks ago? Who shows up at Bob Kraft's birthday party? On a Friday during night. During the week. On a Friday on a night. Friday night before a Tampa Bay Bucks game. Why would somebody do that, Peter Schrager? Why? Somebody who truly loves the owner and the franchise. Now you start thinking... Where was I? Where was I happy? Where did I belong? Who are my people? And it's the Patriots fans. What's the best thing for my legacy? Oh, I could just I peter out on the seven and ten, eight and nine Bucks team. I lose in round one. Then I go to Fox. I don't think he wants to go to Fox. I just think he's on the wrong team. He needs an offensive line. Well, the Pats have an offensive line. He needs tight ends to have those. He needs a running back who can catch the ball out of the backfield. How about Ramondre Stevenson? How about a bunch of receivers that can do some stuff? How about a young team that is probably like one more year away from being decent? He goes there for a year, comes back home, puts a bow on it. I'm a patriot for life. This is where I want to be. Bob Kraft is the most meaningful relationship I've, I've had as an adult. He's like a second father to me. And then you start floating out the, I didn't really want to leave in the first place, but my wife wanted me to leave. And, you know, this divorce is going to get, probably get uglier and uglier. You start making her, you paint in certain things. I never wanted to go. I left because of my family. My family, my wife didn't want to be here anymore. Now you're shifting it. Guess who's, guess who's embracing him with open arms? New England. Patriot Massachusetts. Nation? Boston. Every Patriot fan. Tom Brady's back for one more year. One more time. Let's put a bow in this. An eighth title. Let's do this. Mac Jones, do you want to be tutored by Tom Brady for a year? How's that sound? Bradley Zappi. You're just going to be wearing a headset Bradley this year, but Bradley, you're going to learn Bradley some shit. Zappy. Bradley Zappi. And Bailey Zappi. <laughs> Bailey Zappi, <laughs> too. He's also going to learn shit. Uh, Bailey Zappi, put a headset on. Just learn from the GOAT for a year. Oh, my God. It's so glad to have him back. TB12, fine. Belichick and Brady together. This is how it has to end. The Shawshank re- reunion. This is Dirk Diggler coming back to Jack Horner's house at the end. They always come back, Peter Schrager. I'm just saying... Don't rule it out. Brother, I like it. 
Let me let me give you a little validity on this thing, and 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 Kyle, just you know, and we should say here. I did not t- I did not tip you off on any of this. No, and there was like a a sprinkling of this this earlier this week online that has kind of made its way to me and been like, well, you know, some of the people in Tampa and New England, what are they saying? And I'm like, I haven't heard it from anyone. However, I did go through a, a an exercise on Good Morning Football where I listed the free agent quarterbacks for 2023, and I said Lamar's coming back to Baltimore. They'll figure it out. But it's an interesting class because you've got Sam Darnold now at 25 years old who can maybe redeem, you know, rectify his career elsewhere or stay in Carolina. You've got Baker. You've got this Heineke now who's suddenly a thing. You've got Daniel Jones potentially. You've got Garoppolo. And I go through this. I go, it's an interesting class when going into the season, I don't think we thought that. And I got multiple texts, not one, multiple texts from people who watch our show around the league saying, you forgot Brady. You forgot Brady. You forgot Brady. So everyone's assumption that this is Brady's swan song and he's going to go out and just be in a booth next year calling, I don't know, Washington Commanders versus the, the Eagles on a week seven game. I, that deal with Fox, that's out there. I think that's out there when he wants to take that deal. I don't think there was a well, and also, deadline. What, what was the timing of that deal? The timing was they're about to talk to their investors. We need some sort of something. Hey, is it okay if we announce this? It seemed pretty half-assed and rushed. I don't know the details. I'm a Fox employee. I will not I know go into the are. fact that it was timed along the earnings call. And after Buck and Aikman left, that is not my place to say anything. I will say this. They're expecting him to eventually join Fox Sports, but there is no hard date of like, all right, the second the Super Bowl is done, Tom Brady is going to be here. Now, what he signed on for was he'd attend some investor relations events. He would be the public face of it. He could still do that and still be the quarterback of another team. As for the Patriots side of it. Wait, hold on. One more thing on the Bucks. Pushes out Bruce Arians. Let's be honest. He did that. That happened. They bring in Todd Bowles. Hasn't been great. That performance last week of Bowles and Leftwich and the whole Tampa coaching staff was awful. And there's just no way Brady comes back to the Bucks. I think that is the one prediction I am 100% on that he will not play in Tampa Bay next year. And then if you start looking around, well, where would he go? All of the teams he'd want to go to are gone, which brings me back to the Pats. So go ahead. Okay. So then you go through those teams and you say, okay, what teams might have holes at quarterback? Uh, you start looking. The guys in the AFC West are pretty much spoken for. Would he go to McDaniels and maybe it's like a, I don't think it's, he's, I don't think he's going to Vegas to like, I, I just don't see. It. I, lo- I know he Same loves situation. Like a I know he loves team. You're not winning a title with that. Then you're like, all right, in the division, it's really tough in the AFC East right now. You've got Tua, you've got this great thing. Like, what's the worst division in football? It's actually the division he's in right now. So yeah. would he go to Carolina with Tepper where there's all sorts of Come potential on. money? I, I don't know if he wants to. New Orleans? I, no, I stop. You I know, mean, you start... The, you, the Giants are like mildly interesting, but I don't think it solves the am I a guaranteed uh, contender problem. Not that the Pats do, but at least the Giants puts them in New York. It's a really fun topic and it's really fun for us. I, I think the other part is he's got a son in high school in New York City right now. Yeah. He'd be very closer close to, to New him, England last time I checked. Closer to New England. And there is this feeling of like, I said it multiple times. And I think you did too. If he had walked off after that Rams loss in the playoffs, where he took his team back from 24 yeah. points and they great had sunset a lead. ending. Great ending. Yeah. Great ending. Like Brady at his last like game, like gave it everything. And then Cooper Cup and Stafford on their own miracle run had one more play in them. And that's how it ends fine. I 
don't. You mentioned it to this. Is, to, this is the worst ending possible. He's going go to go out on a losing team. He fires his coach. He's getting divorced. He, he they're like what twenty seventh in the red zone. Oh, it's, it's just atrocious. not a fun season. You had Matt Bellani on after the Bob Iger news, and I love that you started an A block on a Monday morning talking Bob <laughs> yeah. Iger because like that's a. But Why your not? point was like, how? What's your legacy? What are you going to go out at? Like and. I think it matters and I think it really matters to Brady. So I don't know if it's Patriots and I think it's a cool uh, story, but like, I'm not sure I see Brady ending his career on a seven and, you know, a seven and 10 Buccaneers team that lost in the wild card round to Dallas. You know what I mean? And for people who think he doesn't care about his legacy, first of all, that's insane. Every great athlete does. Mm -hmm. Second, this is a guy who trademarked TB12, who, felt like his mission wasn't was just to prove that greatness could be sustainable for more than just him and like he does care about this stuff Kyle when you think about Brady's legacy and he comes back to New England for one last year maybe he appreciates Belichick a little bit more right it's like eh you know I've had I've had Bruce Arians skipping out at 4.30 because he wanted to get nine in I've had Todd Bowles just flatlining during uh through, as we have a seven point lead. I've I've had I've seen the other side. This so Belichick side, eh, maybe I underrated a little though. They're also they've won. When you've won multiple times with somebody, I don't care if you're like, oh, that guy's I fucking hate that guy. I'm so tired of him. You still have like ties and connections with them. And then the craft thing is the big thing to me. Cause that's probably one of the best relationships he has. So Kyle, as this is all laid out. First of all, it gets announced Tom Brady is back. What's your reaction? Here we go. I mean, I, I've enjoyed the last, I love rooting for him. I mean, the Super Bowl was like, you know, magical for me in my own little way. But it's been really nice knowing when the cliff comes on, like when we hit the cliff, it's not my problem anymore. I've been actually mm. pretty good at divorcing that. I really like that. I've, I've super enjoyed that part of, you know, the close games and the bad throws and, you know, whatever, the losses. That's been really nice that I can just sort of, I'm an uncle now. I'm not a parent, you know, I can just sort of <laughs> just go home. Take. So that was really nice. And it was sort of like uh, getting through like a hard semester and then being done with it. And so I, I wouldn't want to go back to school and take a test right now, but that's what it sort of would feel like if he came wow. back. And then the other thing is, like, is he going to be cool that Matt Patricia and somebody else is, what is it, Joe Judds are, are now calling the plays? Like, is, is that sort of a disaster a little bit? It's for in his eyes, I wonder. How about offensive coordinator Cliff Klingsbury? <laughs> oh, so we're just throwing people up. Like, hey, did, did you see Schrager blink when I threw that out? <laughs> Shaker, who who are who kind of are buddies together a little bit? Tom oh. Brady and, and Cliff. Yeah, they went to the Derby one year together. They went yeah, to Baker I'm Baker's just, Bay in Bahamas. They've got stories. I have great stories with them. They'll probably, I think, would probably figure out an offensive coordinator to make them happy. Um, and then, you know, I don't think they had they would have to trade anything, right? It's a fun thought exercise, but I do think I Let think the legacy is important. Let me add a couple more things to this because I why not? I'll empty the bag and let's just see. Like, yeah, let's do it. He was in a conversation with the Miami Dolphins to potentially be their quarterback, and they had his agent Don Yee, who also represents Sean Payton. There, there were conversations. This isn't like a crazy idea that Brady behind the scenes would maneuver something. He's already done it once before, right? And he did it with the Tampa coach as well. <laughs> yes, he did so that with going to Tampa, and then we found out from uh, who who had the Vegas revelation. Yeah, it was revealed that like on the barber shop when he said that. Oh, wait, it was, uh, it was uh, yeah. no, it was Dana White. Was that what it was? It was Dana White yeah, talking it to Gronk? Dana White. 
talking to Gronk about how Brady almost ended up in Vegas and then that one fell apart. So Brady's been maneuvering this whole time. And I do feel like, I do think he cares about the legacy thing. I don't think he wants to go out this way. And I think, I, I think going back to the Pats solves a lot of issues for that dude. So I work with Jason McCourty and Jason's yeah. lovely. And Jason's brother on Thursday night played his 200th game and started every single game. And Kraft came out during the week yeah. and came out with a collage. And, you know, we're sitting there at the set and I say to Jason, I'm like, you know, not every team does that. And he's like, RK came in. He's like, that's, that's our guy. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I only played there three years, but like, you have no idea the love that we have for that owner and like what he means to us all. And I'm like, it's good. I'm with Danny Amendola last weekend. The two of us went out. He was in LA. He's promoting this Fox show, Special Forces Fox with Mike yeah. Piazza. <laughs> and I'm watching that. We go out for dinner. And I'm like, do you still talk to the Patriots guys? Like, yeah, you know, I went to different teams afterwards, Miami, Detroit, and, you know, Houston. He's like, but Kraft, man, that's our guy. Like, there is something special about that Robert Kraft relationship with the players when they won that I think it's universal, but it's got to be even stronger with Tom Brady. I'm just throwing, well, f- throwing stuff into the fire here. I'm glad you brought up Kraft because that's the last piece of this. So something very interesting has happened in the Boston sports scene. The Celtics are the dominant team and the Bruins are really, really good too, right? And it's turned into the Celtics-Bruin thing. So you have the Pats playing Buffalo. We're taping this before the Pats-Buffalo game today. And if the Pats lose, their season's probably over. The Celtics own the town. Tatum is the most popular, biggest athlete in the town by far. I have no feel for Boston sports. So you're telling me that I'm just getting, I'm giving you, he's, Tatum's the guy. So I had a, my dad and my uncle went to see the Celtics Heat last night and they had Prince, William, and Kate were there sitting courtside. And my dad, they, the the owner sat right in front of my dad, like four rows in front. Tatum went over and talked to them before the game and he walked away and he was just locked in. He had 28 in the first half. And my uncle Bob, because they FaceTimed me after, he, they were like, Tatum like wanted to put on a show for those dudes. It was, it was like like real greatness from Tatum. For like, the owners the, or for the Royals? No, for the Royals. Really? He was like, these Royals are here. I'm going to put on a fucking show for them. He dropped 28. Like Tatum's like a god right now. And I think Kraft sees this. Kraft was in this position where it was like, it was them and the Red Sox. It was the Celtics for a couple of years, but it was always the Pats first. Now they're third. And they're not as, they're, they're still, it's a football city. I get it. They're always going to be relevant. There's always going to be Mac versus Zappy arguments, stuff like that. But Kyle, what, what flips the script more than Tom Brady coming back? <laughs> this would do it. It's definitely shocking. And I just want to put, <laughs> I would absolutely accept him back. And I know Brady would love a chance to squash a Pat's quarterback that's been drafted by us. So he'd love to do that one more time. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at some of the stuff Kraft's done, right? Like even like the Meek Mill thing where he was like passionately trying to, yeah. you know, get Meek Mill out of prison. I think if Kraft looks at this and goes, you know what? This is great. This would be great. This is a great ribbon to put on this giant present of the Tom Brady era. I'm going to make this happen. Tom's in a not great place. His marriage just fell apart. He's had the worst 2022 possible. I'm going to be there for him. I'm going to work it. I'm going to try to get him back. I think it's possible. 
I, that's why I'm throwing it out there because hey, I know it's possible. Brady's got a new clothing line, Brady brand. He's got the TB12. You know who Kraft's best friend is these days? Like the best friend is Michael Rubin from Fanatics. I'm talking, they are, they are right. inseparable. If if you could somehow introduce that whole world to, I mean, everybody oh, yeah. knows Michael Rubin, but like this is no brainer if he's trying to get into the sports apparel and trying to get into that world as well. And, you know, in the Hamptons every summer, Michael Rubin throws this huge bash. You know who guest number one is? Robert Kraft. You know who guest number two is? Bon Jovi. And you know who right. got, you know who hosted Kraft's uh, birthday party this past summer? 80th surprise birthday party with Edelman there and, and the McCourty's there and Brady there. Michael Rubin. Like, I feel like this is, if Brady's got to have a future like long on and the, doing the clothing stuff and doing the marketing and all that stuff, like, dude, there's a lot of stuff that makes a lot of sense here. Now, the question is, does, does, you know, does Belichick want right. Brady back? And that's the big thing because I think Belichick ultimately, it was an understanding that this was where this is going. But like, there was no warm and fuzzy pitch to Tom Brady at the way on the way out. It wasn't like, hey, let's go for one more run here. And Brady being like, no, it was. I think they both knew it was time to move on. And Belichick didn't fight for it. The Alex Guerrero piece was interesting. Wait, hold he on got with to, the Belichick thing. Yeah, Belichick's a history guy. He fucking loves the history of the NFL. <laughs> yes, he does. Like, really Just more than everything. anybody. <laughs> he loves it. Lacrosse loves- and history. He he knows like he could tell you all the coach wins over the years. What the, the fucking Akron list zips, is? The, the, the Akron oh my god! <laughs> and he gets like the big picture piece of this, and I think he would embrace it because let me tell you something: they're not winning the Super Bowl with the team they have. And if you put, if you even put this year's version of Brady on this team, they would have been better. But I, I just think, I think there's too many arrows that are pointing a certain way for us not to take this seriously. We've dropped a lot of information on this podcast this year that has been successful. I in think both, both of us and basketball pretty plugged and, in on this stuff too. Yeah, you know? and I'm not recently, discrediting you. Like Robert Sarver not wanting to sell the Suns to Iger and now Iger's back at Disney. Like I would just take this stuff seriously. I don't bring this up just out of nowhere to get aggregated. So I, I say I, the same I say the same things, Bill, on, on like our show. I'm like, I don't say it if I don't think there's something yeah, to we're it. Not You're throwing there's smoke. I'm just telling you. Um all right. We could talk about this. You could talk about this on Good Morning America. Yeah. I'm excited uh, quick, for Jason's, though, Jason's quick, thoughts on Good Morning Football tomorrow on this. Of course, I will ask him. But real quick on like Alex Guerrero. So if you don't know, he's brought Brady's personal yeah. guy. Willie McGinnis brought him in. He was always part of it. But like there was a conflict of whether how much access Guerrero had and who got to go and work out with Guerrero. And if he was working with the Patriots trainers, not when he got to Tampa, it was like, have the building, have a shirt, you know, have an office, have everything. Um, I think that you know Guerrero does still have a huge presence with the TB12 stuff up there, and I'd wonder if Belichick would loosen up a little bit. And I know at the end there, they actually did come together, and it was okay. But like, if Brady comes in and is like, "I'm only coming back if my guy has full access again," if Belichick would be willing to say, "Yeah, you know what? Whatever it takes." Belichick is old, and he's turning into a softy. He's got two fucking kids working for him on the team. Come on, uh, all right, Kyle. We uh, we're gonna take a break, <laughs> and then we'll come back and talk more football. Hey, if you're looking to get more of this NFL season, it's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. New customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. It's free bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe and secure and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to touchdown scores to over-under yards. We have million-dollar picks coming up later. FanDuel is going to do something fun with the Washington game that Joe House and I are going to tweet out either Saturday or Sunday, but it's going to be the Washington money line with an adjusted under of, I think, 52, and then a Brian Robinson rushing prop that has not come out yet. But stay tuned for that because we will definitely be doing that one. FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance for 
a bigger payout with the same game parlay. And also they are now live in Maryland, which is why we're doing that Washington bet. Marylanders, make sure you get on the action. You can do that Washington bet. I just mentioned great offers, boosts, everything just for you. Hopefully they'll boost that one. Don't miss your chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 of free bets. When you join FanDuel with promo code BS, make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. Refund issues, non-withdrawable. Free bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, so we did the Brady thing. Later on in Million Dollar Picks, there's a way where the NFC South gets super duper duper weird if Tampa loses to New Orleans and Atlanta loses to Pittsburgh and we would have Tampa at five and seven, New Orleans five and eight, Atlanta five and eight, Carolina four, Carolina four and eight. Our Panthers. I, <laughs> I think this is realistic, just FYI. I think the Saints could absolutely beat Tampa. And I think Pittsburgh's going to beat Atlanta, but I don't want to talk about that with you. I want Wait, to real talk quick about, though, can I yeah. can I give ourselves a pat on the back? We we I mean, I actually am a little disappointed. I know you were sick, but like I must have texted you a hundred times with no response. I was during, super sick I know. during Panthers Broncos. We got that over, Bill. It was the most dramatic final two minutes of a football game in the history of sports, and just getting we're, over that. The Broncos points. scoring twelve times oh, and only they one scored touchdown 12 counting. Times. There was 12 yeah. penalties, took him back. Russell Wilson had 18 shots at the end zone. Cortland yeah. Sutton dropped an easy one and we got it. And I was literally on a plane, like running up and down the aisle, high-fiving people. <laughs> and I just wanted a text back from you being like, we did it, Schrager. We finally, it finally went our way. I didn't even get three dots from you. I, I know, I was pretty sick. We're This year, <laughs> we're six, six and 19 on underdog parlays. So that's been the one bright spot in a disastrous million dollar picks. But Sharp, Sharp has made me see in the light. It's too weird to do <laughs> teasers and parlays this year. We're going to do the underdog ones because they're small He was stakes, talking but... yesterday about military training for coaches. Oh, my I'm God. Like, this guy. <laughs> he was locked in. Yeah, so we're going straight up bets later. But I want to talk about the game of the day, which we're not putting in million-dollar picks. Case, uh, San Francisco-Miami. San Francisco's favored by four at home. Miami's a hot team. Miami has been getting off to these great starts. I'm afraid to bet against them. I don't really like the spot either. And, and just betting on them in general against a physical team scares me because two has had two concussions this year. And it's always in the back of my head with Miami. Like what happens if he takes one more hit? Yeah. Two has gotten better. I, I'm, I'm at the point where I might have to admit I was wrong on Tua. I never understood. All right, what's his thing? He's not that fast. Deep ball's not great, but the, it's the release. Like the, the stuff and the nerds who have adopted Tua, and you see some of the stuff on Twitter where they'll do the quick release, the things he sees immediately. McDaniel has just been able to take advantage. It's like McDaniel's maximized any good thing Tua has, but now we're going to see him against a real hardcore playoff team with a good defense, physical. It's going to have him scouted. They're going to be hitting those receivers over the middle. What do you think happens in this game? First of all, this is my favorite game of the season so far. Wow. I, I love this game. And 
I, I look at this game and it, there's so many different storylines. First off, the person who gave Tua maybe the greatest praise this week was Kyle Shanahan. And what he said, which was really interesting, he said he reminded him of when they had Matt Schaub in Houston. And I'm like, all right, that's kind of like a weird thing to say. But what he said was Schaub would put that back foot down, would have his first option. If it's not there, have his second option and then would throw it away. And although Schaub can't throw the deepest pass, he was always great on the run. And that is exactly what Tua is doing. And he is doing it to perfection. He's not scared of safeties because Tyreek Hill's going deep. The safeties are so worried about Tyreek Hill. The entire center of the field is open and Tua throws a very accurate pass. And if you notice, it's Tua to Waddle perfectly in stride. It's Tua to Tyreek perfectly in stride. And then quick it's release to the too. Like just it's so out. quick. It's really good. So you have the respect factor here. But why I really love this matchup the relationship between Kyle and Mike McDaniel is unlike any in the league. This is like Parcells Belichick in a way, obviously not the same accolades, but the relationship. I, this sounds like I'm making this story up and I know Denver media would know it and the Miami media might know it. Mike McDaniel was a 10 year old kid at training camp for the Broncos and like lost his baseball hat. He had a Charlotte Hornets baseball hat. I swear this is true. This has been reported, like verified and he was devastated by it. And a assistant coach, or a, a video guy for the Broncos was like, all right, I'll get to the kid a new hat. Gets the kid a new hat. Give it to, it's McDaniel. It's a 10-year-old. And the guy worked for the Broncos. And the guy ends up dating Mike McDaniel's mother. This is all true, okay? Like, follow this story, okay? Start dating. And then Mike McDaniel becomes part of this, like, Broncos lore of like, all right, the video guy is dating the mother of this kid who lost the hat. Mike Shanahan takes over as the coach. The ball boy for the Broncos is Mike McDaniel. All right. He becomes the ball boy during like the glory years of the Broncos. He hits it off with Mike Shanahan. Mike Shanahan's like his father figure in the football world. He goes to college, goes to Yale, goes to play, comes back. And who's he working for? He's working for Gary Kubiak and he's working for Kyle Shanahan with the Houston Texans. He goes from Houston with Kyle Shanahan. He goes from there to Washington with Kyle and Mike Shanahan. Then he goes to Cleveland for a cup of coffee with Kyle Shanahan. Then he goes to Atlanta with Kyle Shanahan. Then he goes five years with the 49ers with Kyle Shanahan. And now finally as a head coach, and he's going up against Kyle Shanahan. It's one of these great like mentor. Pro these guys have known each other close to 30 years. And Kyle has always had this like guy that comes with him whenever he takes a job. And it's always Mike McDaniel. And mm. I, I find the, the fact that McDaniel was so in I wonder who has the advantage out of that. That's the question. So like, if I know your offense inside and out, and I know, but McDaniel's been in San Francisco the last five years before this, and he knows D'Amico Ryan's his defense. He knows yeah. D'Amico. He knows all those players. He also was on a coaching staff that had D'Amico Ryan's as a player. So like, the information is probably all in McDaniel's favor that he knows the personnel. He knows all that. But then there's this like, you know, and I don't do Star Wars stuff. I've never uh, been that guy. Mm. But like Kyle Brandt is like the Star Wars guy, and he's like. This is a Padawan Jedi type deal or whatever the hell that means. I'm sorry to all the Andor fans out there and Andy Greenwald can correct me, but like there is some sort of like mentor. Shots at Greenwald. Wow. <laughs> he knows that stuff. I don't. No, I, know, Ryan. I know. He knows that stuff. I like those guys. Um, though, though, like that relationship. So who has the advantage? The guy that's like the young buck or the one that like, you know, taught you the ways. And I love the dynamics because when McDaniel took the job in Miami, he like tried to raid some of Kyle's staff. So John Embry was already let go, but he took him on and he was the former assistant head coach. He's in Miami now. 
Wes Welker was in San Francisco. He's in Miami now. They go and they sign Mostert. They go and they trade for Jeff Wilson. They sign Sherfield. They sign K- Craycraft. They s- Aldrick Robinson's a coach. Mike Person's a coach. All these former Kyle Shanahan guys are in Miami now. And here they go with this hot young team and this quarterback that's never played in a big NFL game up to San Francisco against the best defense in the league. If there's nothing better than that right now, I don't know what is. Miami's in this stretch now at San Francisco, at the Chargers, at Buffalo. Chargers will basically be a home game. Buffalo's going to be hard. And I got to be honest, if they're eight and six after this, I would be surprised. Chargers right? game was flexed. If they're the 11 time. and three, 11 and three, I wouldn't be surprised. That's why it's a stay away. I don't, we're, we're going to know with this Miami team after these games. My, my lean is that they might actually be better than maybe people think. But I also wonder about them putting games away, which Sharp talked about on a, on the podcast on Tuesday. Like, even if they got a lead in San Francisco, could San Francisco come back? But we know San Francisco scripts that first half. They're always a really good first half team, but we also know Miami can come back. I just think it's a stay away across the board. I'm with you. I can't wait to watch it. It's a, I love it. And it's, it's, it's a top three game. You've got Chiefs Bengals up against it with like Nance and Romo. This is like, you know, a Fox regional game in a lot of ways, but I think it might be yeah. the game of the week. Like, I, I cannot wait. And it might be a Super Bowl preview. I don't think that's crazy to say. One other game that I think is really interesting, and I think we're going to talk about it for Underdog Parlay. Well, actually, both of these. This is a great week of football. It's There's five I think like, it's the best, awesome matchups. Best matchup week we've had, and Thursday night game's good too, but Titans-Eagles. This line, I think, started at seven. It's, it's down to four and a half. It's in the Vegas zone, which is a red flag. Titans coming off a loss, mm-hmm. which... Uh, Sharp and I talked on Tuesday, like, I wish I bet on the Titans and it's like, they didn't totally need the game. The Bengals did. That was like a must win for the Bengals. For Titans, it's like, eh, we're up by three on everyone in our division. Like, but now I'm starting to feel like this is a little more of a must win. They have the two games left with Jacksonville, right? They have a lead, but it's not like an insurmountable lead. In Jacksonville, signs of coming on, I'm not going to say they're coming on, but signs. They had a nice win against Baltimore last week. Then you have this Eagles team that is coming off a jerk circle win. Where it's like, <laughs> oh my God. The media is just like, let's I mean, get look, in a they circle. Had 400 yards rushing. I, I know. That's it. the thing. Yeah. The jerk circle win fucking scares me because it's just three days of everybody saying, um, man, you guys are so great. I can't believe how good you are. And it's like, that's never good. One of the things is I was trying to figure out what I was doing wrong with million dollar picks this year. I was getting away from like the Forrest Gump type narratives that used to work for me really well and getting in the weeds with like comparing DVOA and shit like that. And I just think fundamentally it's a, it's, it's a, we need to prove something game for the Titans versus an Eagles team. Who's like, did you see us on Sunday night? Did you see that when we ran for all those yards, Titans have the number one rushing D DVOA since week three, right? Yep. That the green Bay thing is not happening again. And I think that I, that them losing to Cincy didn't bother me that much. I thought Cincy played really well in that game. Titans missed a field goal. They had a dumb penalty at the end, but that game was close. And I think those are two of the better teams in the league. So anyway, I like the spot for them. They're plus four and a half. They're plus 190 to win the game. The Eagles are cruising. They got the Giants next week at Chicago. You know, they're already thinking ahead. Like, hey, if we take care of Dallas in week 16, it's a wrap. We get the one seed. Maybe... Just looking past, I also like you and I both love Vrabel. Love. I just wouldn't underestimate Vrabel in this spot. Plus four and a half. I liked what I saw from Burks last week. I like this Titans team. I do too. 
And I think there is a desperation with this team right now that they play they play in a way on the road that is really, really impressive. I thought the game that Malik Willis played in Kansas City, they were awesome that game. Like they found yeah. a way to manage it and almost snuck out a win there. They went to Green Bay and they won. They oddly enough lose these weird wonky games at home. They lost to the Giants at home this year. They lost that game last week to the Bengals. There was the call at the end, the field, all that stuff. They should have won that game in a lot of ways, especially if Mixon and Chase are out. Credit to the Bengals. I think that they can run the ball on the Eagles, and I think they can shorten this game against the Eagles. And yep. Jordan Davis or not, the Eagles' run defense has left a lot to be desired of late. The question is, can they score enough points? Because I think the Eagles can put up points if they need to. I, I'm not saying it's a stay away, and straight up, it's hard for me to say, yes, Titans in Philly. But if you're looking at this list and you're looking for an underdog pick, I think the the spread is way more than it should be. Yeah, this is a three-point game. There's an A.J. Brown revenge thing, too, but that's why I like them as an underdog parlay. And look, Philly might win, but I just think you're getting some value, and especially with the plus 190, it's almost two-to-one odds that Tennessee's going to win in Philly. Great, I'll take it. I thinking about putting them with the Jets. The Jets are three-point underdogs in, in Minnesota. They're plus 132. The DVOA stuff is, this happens every year. There's always a team, like that. Minnesota's nine and two. They're 22nd in DVOA. Wow. Jets are seven and four. They're ninth in DVOA, and that's with like, what, nine Zach Wilson starts? Yeah. And, and Zach Wilson, who's gotten steadily, like, if you were to do a, a chart, a steadily worse week after, I mean, his best game was against the Steelers when he came in off the bench in week three or whatever that, that was. was it. He's gotten like worse. He, oh, yeah. didn't know he was going to play. I think this Jets team is good. I, I do. do. I watched them, I watched every play against them with the Pats. <laughs> in the span of like four weeks. And I really thought the Jets could have and probably should have won both games. And they just like, Wilson just murdered them. Just flat out murdered them. And they got bad luck on the uh, the rough in the passer when Mac threw the pick six. Yeah. If that if that guy has a rough Mac, the Jets are up and that game's over because I don't think the Pats could have Yeah, come and if back. he doesn't throw three, if he throws two picks and not three in that game, the Jets might be able to win that game. You yeah, know? it's just, and Mike White, like whatever. But um it's not like Minnesota's not going to pressure him that much. Mac had like no pressure last week. I think the Jets are going to be able to block him. Um, the front four is going to be able to at least pressure Cousins a little oh, bit. Absolutely. And then, I don't know, sauce on Justin Jefferson. That's not nothing. It's a good matchup. And, you know, the Jets, they, you know, when they lost Brees Hall and Elijah Vera Tucker, I, I was the first to be like, oh, those are too big on offense. They're not good enough yeah. on offense. They start a guy, Zonovan Bam Knight, last week, undrafted at an NC State, goes big, for 100 big yards. Big fantasy free agent this week. He you went know, for like 20 like, bucks in one of my leagues. And you know what? It's like, all right, okay, December, like we have another set of fresh legs now. I know because I was shocked he wasn't on the field beforehand because all training camp, that's all I heard from the Jets was like, we got this guy, Bam Knight. So it's not just Brees. We got Michael Carter. We got Bam Knight. And then they went and traded for James Robinson. He was a healthy scratch last week. So yeah. now you have this like second wind of like a fresh young rookie. And I think he had the most yards ever for a jet player in his NFL debut. That's I cool. thought he was, I thought he was legitimately good. He was, and it's not he a flash in the he pan. Was, He's he a was powerful like running getting guy. yards. Yeah, he was good. So, I also think, I think that third stringer in Atlanta is really good. Tyler Algier. Oh, Algier to BYU is great. Fifth round pick. It's it's good. Fucking battering ram. I don't battering understand rams. why he doesn't They're play huge. more. Um, Back to the Jets real quick, like Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson, they have been non-existent for weeks. And it might be as simple as the quarterback wasn't getting them the ball. And then Garrett yeah. Wilson had two moves in that game. He looked incredible and the little he broke it for the touchdown. Like, I don't know. I, I, I'm in on the Jets. I think, this is a I, tall think Garrett, order, though. I think Garrett Wilson is elite. 
I like Conklin. Really Conklin had a couple big catches last week. I think in general he's good. Like I just like the framework of that team. I think they're pretty good. So they're unfortunately the lines. Maybe maybe it's a good sign for a Jets bet that the line's only minus three. It almost I got, feels like I, trying I, to trick I, it. I heard your your takes on it, and I got I got pushback on it. But like I don't think it's crazy. And a lot of Vikings fans are very sensitive. Like they're like, we're nine and two. Give us our respect. And we yeah yeah you beat Belichick on a short like that was really good. I would think that the Patriots. You know, Pierre Strong roughing the punter. Um, I know. You know, some ridiculous God, decisions. Don't get me by the, and then, you know, like you said, the Judon offsides makes it third and 12 to third and seven. And then you get the big play to Jefferson. Like, I'm not saying that the Vikings didn't win that game, but that game felt like the Patriots really had a lot of opportunities and might have given that game to, to Minnesota. And if Minnesota loses. And it was a Thursday night. Like, I feel like if it's a Sunday, that would have been better for the Pats, too. You know, I'm just saying the Jets. They can hold their own there. It's just they're a young team. Can they go on the road? And can Mike White win in a hostile environment? It's hard to play there. Minnesota Jets this week at Detroit next week. And then it gets super easy. Oh, they might lock this thing up before, you know, the next couple of weeks. They might be done with the NFC North. So if they win this game, they're a stealth one seed candidate. Absolutely. I talked about it Sunday and or I talked about it maybe with Sharp somebody this week, but they win this, they're 10 and 2. At Detroit, home Indy, home Giants. At Green Bay, Rodgers will be out by then. At Chicago to wrap it. Like, they have nobody left. Like, every year we see the, a team like this that's like 14 and 3, 13 and 4. And people don't believe. And, and, like, and, yeah, yeah. and it was Tennessee last year. And, of course, I was like, all right, I'll talk myself into this. Then they lose at home to Cincy. Um, speaking of Cincy, so I don't like the line in this game. It's Chiefs minus 2.5. I wish that I wish it was three and a half to two and a half. I don't know what that does. It's like you're not getting enough value with the Bengals money line either. I really think the Bengals can win this game. There's a bet. Casey wins the first half, but since he wins the game, that is eight to one on FanDuel. I'm gonna let my hands off the wheel. I know Warren Sharp did a 90 minute dissertation with you. I, that, on, on I the I'll Cincy, trust you. Yeah, I know. Since the second like half. First half, so second I, half, all that stuff. That's on you guys. And I I, I love where you're going with this because it feels like there's an extra layer of research here. <laughs> yeah, well, Solak, Solak went, I had him, I mentioned to him and he looked it up and Casey is 42 and five when leading after the first half. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to talk it out, but I could see a world where Casey goes up early. It's basically like Pacheco is the running back now. That's, that's good it. though. I, I like no, I, that's fine. Pacheco. That's your only running back? Rojo, I just wonder, like, Jones out there last week. You're up, you're up seven. You got to protect the lead in the third quarter, and then it was like, cool, Pacheco again. Um, I don't know. It feels like a nice spot for Cincy. Here's here's the, the and oh, here's the other thing with Cincy. Casey this week, Deshaun Watson next week at Tampa, at New England, Buffalo, Baltimore, home to finish. Like, there's no outs for them. No, the rest there's of the no way. outs. Every they're in playoff game mode now, which I like. And Baltimore's schedule is actually quite easy. So you've got that double-edged sort of like, we need to win. We can't rely on Baltimore losing these games. Uh, the Cincinnati thing is this. This is their biggest home game in maybe a decade. Oh, like biggest way, regular season home game. You're yeah, right. the way they're playing yeah. up this thing. And Elizabeth Blackburn, who's uh, a young executive, she's Katie Blackburn's daughter, um, uh, who's Mike Brown's family. And she sent a letter to like season ticket holders like, we need you in the building. It's going to be cold. This is where our playoff push runs. And, you know, Jamar's back. Joe Mixon's supposed to be back. Reader. Reader's talking to. Reader's talking a little bit on Twitter. And then I don't know if you saw the whole thing yesterday with Justin Reed, but the Chiefs' safety, like, didn't know. 
Higgins' name, thought he was talking about Hayden Hurst, thought he was talking about Higby, like Higby mm. the Ram. And there's a whole thing. And like the Bengals guys like seized on it immediately. T. Higgins tweeting at him, Jamar Chase tweeting at him, DJ Reader tweeting at him. Like, I feel like the Bengals know that this is like a nationally televised game in Cincinnati at four o'clock in the afternoon with Nance and Romo on the call and like everyone's gonna be watching. Oh, I might have I might just throw them in. I gotta it's think a, about this more. You know yeah. what else? Mixon goes out, right? Gets concussion. And they kind of found something with P Ryan. Oh, Samachi. Samachi's yeah, been good he, for them for two years. No, I know, but I I never I was never a huge fan. I always felt like there was a drop off. And I what he showed, I, I felt like he went up a level as something. So now yeah. I feel like they have this two back thing that I didn't feel like they had five weeks ago, but they just seem they seem healthy. Burroughs got the swagger back. And you know, KC, like they had that one awesome win. What was the 44 to 23 win when they laid yeah. the smack on uh on somebody? I'm gonna look this up. Hold on. Um but other than that, like they've 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 definitely let teams hang around. The but 40, they win. That was against uh that was oh, at San Francisco. Yeah. But that was pre McCaffrey trade. Yeah, you know, there was a couple out. guys out on San Francisco, whatever. Um, they win. They pull the games out. They win, though. That's the but thing. You know they who always have that? a way. Cincinnati. Yeah, they do. They've had a few of those, too. And they did it last week. I thought Tennessee was going to come back and grab that game. And guess what? They've beaten Kansas City by three the last two times they played. Yeah. So I like that one. Um, the only other one, you have two minutes to try to talk me out of taking the Washington Seawards over the Giants minus two and a half this week. There's a bet where you can do the Washington money line with the Washington, you can adjust the under to 52 and a half. They'd have to score 53 points to lose I, that bet. My only take on it is that the Giants are, are, are now two games in a row to losing. They're at home. This is like make or break time for Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. They get back uh, Olajari, who's one of their best pass rushers. They get back uh, big Evan Neal, the tackle, like they get guys back and they're going to try to save this, salvage this season. This is it. Like this, they have to win here. They play the commanders, the Eagles, the commanders again, like they've got to win this game and they're at home. And it's like, are the Washington commanders this unbeatable team? My fear is their front four. If they get chase young back, they've got pain. They've got, they've got sweat. They've got Allen. They've got chase young. I don't know if that's just too much for the giants offensive line, but like to me, this is a pick 'em game. I don't think that the the commanders are going to light up the giants at, at met life on Sunday. So Washington's only scored 30 points once this season. Yeah, and they, like needed, a, they needed one of those lateral TDs when you're winning the game and the other team starts <laughs> lateraling. That's how they got to 30. They've won six of seven. They're good. They lost to mini by three. The Giants have their one and three in their last four. And the one that they won was that Houston game that they tried to give away for three hours. <laughs> the thing for me here, here's why I'm really against the Giants. And I, I've been watching. Barkley's not right. I don't think he's the same guy that he was in September. And I don't know whether overuse, he got worn down. I don't know if his shoulders fucked up. 26 carries for 61 yards, but he looks like the Barkley from last season not the guy from September and October. And I just don't think, unless he's Superman, I don't think they can beat a team with a good defense. And we've watched Washington over and over again just pull these games out. I just think, to me, they're just better. I just think they're a better team. I, I also think, you know, the Giants' offensive line was healthy early in the season. They're completely rattled again. And you've yeah. got guys, like Nick Gates is a great story. And Giants fans know, like, hasn't played football in a year. He goes back, he's starting last week. Like, it's great stories, but... Saquon is 
it's a, it's him and then it's a lot of guys that you're like asking a lot out of and Saquon's their number one player. I think teams can zone in on him and it's not going to be uh, easy when you've got eight men in the box and like, hey, Saquon beat us, you know? Well, the other thing is the they're basically, it was a little gimmicky, right? The first four or five weeks, like, what are the Giants doing? Wow, they're going to use Danny Dimes like this? Yeah. I don't know. After like six, seven weeks, you study some tape, you're like, hey, when they're in this thing, I'll oh, put this guy here. I don't know if there's a plan B for them. Like, if you've noticed, they've been throwing the ball more the last couple of weeks. Trying. It's like D- DJ Slightly. had over 3,800 two weeks ago, but yep. I don't see it. I think this Washington team's good. I think it's a playoff team. I agree. And I think they're really good and they're sound and Robinson runs the ball hard. I don't think that the Giants are should be favored by any means. I'm just saying, if the Giants have anything left in the tank, they have to do it this week. And there's no climbing out of this hole for them. So it's like, yeah. now or never for the well, Giants. Well, they have Philly next week, too. Yeah. Washington has Giants this week by home Giants. So they're just like, man, if we take care of this by week, the coach can do the whole, I'll see you guys on Wednesday. Let me ask you, if you're the Giants general manager, Joe Shane, who inherited this roster and the salary cap nightmare, are you bringing back Daniel Jones? And then question two, are you bringing back Saquon from big money? I I don't want to pay big money for running backs. I I, I would just go get Damian Harris for one third of the money and be totally happy or whoever. There's like 10. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of free agents. These guys, they're they're just falling out of the woodwork. The fucking jets. It's like, Hey, I'm this guy. All right. Throw him in. You know, Uh, what about Daniel Jones? If if he, if he demands a certain amount of money, like, do you think he's done enough to deserve not, he's not going to get Lamar or Watson or Allen money, but like, does he deserve starter money? No, I think, I think you roll the dice with a Minshew type or I don't know how trade for, Bailey Zappi or Bradley Zappi. Either one. Bradley's good. Bradley Zappi can sling it. Bradley Zappi can sling it. So can Bailey. Um, I, look, it's like basketball where if you're paying whoever 15 million bucks a year to be like the seventh best guy on your team, what are you doing? Yeah. Just go just go try to game the system, try to get some an up-a-comer. I'd like Jones, but if it's more than like seven, eight million a year, you can't do that. Oh no, it's gonna be. I mean, I would think yeah, he, you just can't. Yeah, I would think he's looking at like, and I don't say this talking to his agents or anything, I would think Daniel Jones' starting price is like 18 to 20, I would imagine. Mm, I don't know where he's getting that. All right, Schrader. <laughs> um, let's, th- Kip, so we'll put we'll put that Pat's, the Brady stuff up tonight. Yeah, I'm going to send it to McCourty. You, we'll see what he says. You hit it on McCourty after. And yep. let's see. But th- I think there is some smoke here. Good to see you. Hey, I'm in LA this weekend for for Fox. Team USA, 7 a.m. I will be up. I will be cheering. I like it when you talk about prong defenses. I love yeah. your. I love you knowing Offenses. these things. Yeah, Offenses, the sorry. Prong we got to start Aronson. I'm an Aronson guy. I like him. Me too. Great young kid. All right, good to see you. You're the man. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe. Award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24/7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60-day money-back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring 
at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is simplysafe with two S, simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. All right, Benjamin Solak is here from The Ringer. We're going to talk cheeses. Holidays coming up. Give us your cheese recommendations. What do you think? Going over to uh, a Christmas party this weekend. What cheese am I bringing? I did not know. I'm I'm, I'm caught off guard. Uh, right I know. Now, I I've figured got, it would be. I've got the uh, the creamy Toscano cheese, uh, which is like drenched in red wine from Trader Joe's. That stuff's incredible. Um, unexpected Gruyere from Trader Joe's, incredible. Saint Andre cheese, really good. It's like a butter cheese. It's like seventy five percent sat fat content. That stuff's amazing. Um, what else am I having recently that's been good? The, uh, the reason for the listeners, the reason I asked Ben this is he tweets about uh, very few things with with real passion. Football, <laughs> cheese. That's really it, Philly. I don't. I had no idea that this would ever go off the way that it did. But now, like, every time I'm on a radio hit, like, somewhere, like, you know, <laughs> Phoenix radio, and they're like, hey, like, how's cheese going? I'm like, cheese is still good. But I just, it, 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 it was... It's long nights. You're like watching Pac-12 football. You get hungry because it's 1 a.m. and you don't want to like make yourself something. So just go to the fridge, slice up a hunk of cheese and don't think about what it's doing to your arteries. <laughs> Have you had cheese curds? Love cheese curds. Absolutely. Okay, I live good. in the Midwest. Critical. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. C- Cajun cheese curds uh, a month ago that were very good. Cajun cheese curds. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Uh, and yeah, I used to live in Chicago, so I went to school. And so we would, we would head up to Wisconsin for whatever reason, because you're right there on the border. Wisconsin cheese curds at a gas station, man. That was, that was, that was, that was good, eat, good eats. The first time I went to Lambo and cheese curds was like popcorn there. Yep. And we were like, whoa, cheese curds, they're really going for this. And then we had some, we we're like, oh my God. Have you had poutine? The, yeah. Oh, poutine. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. We used to go to Canada every single year growing up and it was always a thing. You had to make sure you go and you went to a poutine stand. They know what they're doing. Fries, cheese, and gravy. It's a good call. So what's your single favorite cheese? Uh, it really, like it earnestly does change. But so cha- same, so it, evo- yeah. it evolves and changes depending yeah. on the seasons. But the, the, the St. Andre cheese, which again, like is like literally like it's called, it's called butter cheese. Like it, it, it's that creamy and it's, that's, that's that smooth. Like that stuff's like it, if you're having a bad day, Butter cheese will turn around real quick. You'll be all right. I am a big, I really like fancy cheddars. Mm, absolutely, yes. Some I don't know. Yeah, well, or, yeah, or when they do the Irish cheddar. Like, I don't know what the Irish right. really know What's about the, the cheddar, but yeah, I like when it's like got a little extra kick to it. I like when I mm-hmm. put the knife in and it doesn't like break up. That's when I know I have the right cheese. Yes. And just like. Tell them. Tillamook cheddar is the best brand you can get around, by the mm. way. That I'm very, I feel very strongly about. You put any grocery store cheddar, any regular cheddar against Tillamook, Tillamook's going to win. Whole Foods has some good cheddars. Yes. They, we, they go uh, a little, they go a little yeah. uh, extra, but yeah. they're, you we, know. Uh, we don't go to Whole Foods because my wife feels very strongly about the bouginess of Whole Foods and how it reflects upon us as a family. Very but, fair. Yes. But when I sneak my way into a Whole Foods, cheese section there is really good. LA, as you know. The gourmet grocery store is a big, a big thing here, and they're everywhere. But the cheese, they have a Whole Foods has that giant cheese section. I like a cheese section. Yeah, I like to go where there's like some's in the fridge, there's some in barrels. I can just look around. Yeah. Uh, we're trying a new thing this week. We're gonna do matchups. You wrote down some matchups. We're looking at week thirteen through the eyes of five matchups. These can be player against player. These can be player against coach. Coach against coach. Team against team. It could be scheme against scheme. It could be anything you want. So you're going to throw some matchups at me and I'm going to react. Yeah. 
Uh, right. So number one, and this is maybe the matchup of the year so far. This is Tua Tagovailoa, the Miami Dolphins quarterback against Fred Warner, middle linebacker for the San Francisco 49ers. People might not realize, like they might know the name Fred Warner, be like, yeah, he's a good middle linebacker. This is a foundational player. This is arguably one of the most keystone, important defensive players that you'll find in the league. Stats for you from Next Gen Stats is Keegan Abdu's piece. Since drafting Warner, the Niners have allowed 71 completions to the intermediate middle of the field, 15 fewer than the next closest defense. Completion percentage expected, 56.5%. Only defense lower than 58% to the intermediate middle of the field. Remember how like the Seahawks had Earl Thomas? And yeah. everybody else was like, yeah, it's time to play single high. And it turns out nobody else had Earl Thomas. A lot of teams are trying to play quarters. A lot of teams are trying to play split field safeties too high. And it turns out not a lot of teams have Fred Warner. So it's a lot trickier than you thought it was. Because if you're going to play split field coverage, you need a middle linebacker who can cover. Not a guy who can kind of get away with it on third down. You need a legit coverage player. Fred Warner, so, six foot. Six so not Juwan Bentley? Not Juwan Bentley. But that's the thing is, is the Patriots know where their bread's butter. They're not trying to play quarters. They're going to play man coverage because they know they can hide that player. Yeah. Be- are, are you anti-Bentley? I, I'm anti-Bentley if I see him running a yard behind a running back or <laughs> receiver and I'm just like, this could end badly. Nothing yeah. good is happening here. Bentley is We like awesome. Bentley, but you know, yeah, he is what he is. He's awesome for like the way the Patriots play their linebackers, which is basically yeah. like sledgehammers on anvils. Just go hit somebody. Yeah. It is, yeah, when you can get him in, into coverage and stuff. But he's 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 evolved cool as a player. Like losing Dunton, being able to re- plug Bentley in has been, has been impressive. Regardless, Fred's not a Juwan Bentley. Six no. foot three, 230 pounds. This guy can play wide receiver in a different life. He plays middle linebacker and has unreal coverage instincts. Well, Tua in this Dolphins offense throws to the intermediate middle of the field more than any other offense in the league. 68 of his dropbacks have been targeting the intermediate middle of the field. Next closest is Tom Brady at 47. And Tua's missed time. So this is, they, no team relies on this area of the field more passing the football than the Dolphins. No team has been better defending this area of the field in the passing game then Fred Warner's 49ers. It's strength against strength at the total polls. At like the 1 and 32, the best passing offense versus the league's best defense. If the Niners cannot play zone coverage and take away the middle of the field with Fred Warner, because nobody's done it against the Dolphins to this point. If the Niners can't do it with Fred Warner, nobody can do it. And defenses ever have to just stop trying. They have to choose to play man coverage, try to press Tyreek Hill, do something else. Because if the Niners can't take it away, zone coverage with Fred Warner, nobody can. Huge, huge, huge defining matchup for what we believe about Tua and also how defenses play the Dolphins through the rest of the season into the playoffs. That's awesome because in the previous segment, Schrager and I were talking about this whole Shanahan McDaniel thing and like who has the advantage if somebody has been the mentor forever and now they're going against each other in a football game? Is it McDaniel because he's worked with Shanahan, knows every single thing he likes to do is with going against Ryan's and the San Francisco defense for five years. He has all these mm-hmm. advantages. Or is it Shanahan who's like, I taught this guy, not everything he knows, but a lot. And I know how I would use that team and I know where the holes would be and let's exploit that. Who do you think has the advantage there? I think Shanahan has the advantage. And here's the reason why. Shanahan's defensive coordinator, first Robert Sala and then D'Amico Ryans, has been really, really good. And if you even look at, at like what McVay's done with some of his defensive coordinators, kind of the Brandon Staley tree, Raheem Morris changing his stuff up, one of the things that you notice is that coaches from this tree, Shanahan McVay, tend to have really good defensive coaches just as they have very good offensive coaches. And it's because there's cross-pollination. It's because Shanahan, and like this has been like reported and talked about, is very involved with the defensive side of the ball and the way that they want to play defense. McVay famously hired Staley 
because he was on the Vic Fangio staff that once with the Bears defense held his Rams offense to six points. These guys notice the defensive dudes who are doing the smart stuff, who are doing the thing that takes them away. So Shanahan has a lot of influence on the defensive side of the ball. And because this McDaniel offense is similar to the Shanahan offense, but is very much a derivative. There are massive, important differences in this offense. Shanahan's vision on that, understanding, okay, McDaniel's doing it this way for these reasons. He's changed my offense to be a little bit less yak-oriented because of the way Tua plays. He's going to be able to feed that information to D'Amico. And I think that that Shanahan's influence on the defensive side of the ball gives D'Amico Ryan's a little bit of an edge, gives them some, some more anticipation for what McDaniel's going to bring to the table. McDaniel doesn't have that on his defensive side of the ball. So I think Shanahan has a slight edge because of how he works with the defensive staff. Big brother, little brother action. I like it. Last thing on Niners Dolphins, this is you just reinforced why this is a stay away for me for million dollar picks and for gambling in general. Mm -hmm. You can make a case either way. I don't feel good about it. I just want to watch it. And I feel like all the variables are in play. You can tell my Miami just like solves it and they're off, and and we're going to leave this game going, holy shit, Miami. This is, yeah. are they now the favorites in the AFC? You could also tell me they're going to lose their next three, which are all on the road. If you took the names off of this game, so I didn't know the coaching staff, so you just showed me the numbers you're looking at in terms of like the way two has performed against zone, against split safety, two high teams, I would be all over Dolphins plus three and a half. No question in my mind. I see D'Amico Ryan's and Fred Warner's name, and I go, uh, I'd like to wait a week. I'll pass yeah. on this one. These guys have earned my trust. Uh, and, and again, this is the this is the final stand for zone teams against the McDaniel's offense. If they can't stop them, then you have to man up Tyreek Hill. You have to man up Jalen Waddle. You have to force Tua to beat you against vertical against man coverage. We haven't really like the Patriots did that a little bit. They they hassled Tua some. The Bengals did it a little bit. The two went out of the game. We haven't really seen that yet. So this is the final frontier for zone against against Tua. We're going to learn a lot, and it's much more fun to not bet on a game where you're going to learn a lot afterwards. What's your next matchup? AJ Brown returning to Tennessee. The Titans are coming mm. to play in Philadelphia, but this is a, a huge revenge game for a player who was very upset uh, that he was traded out uh, of Tennessee. When you look at what the Titans do well defensively, such a well-coached team. They have a, a defensive coordinator in Shane Bowen who comes from a quarters world, a simulated pressure world, create confusion, rotate guys around. And then senior defensive assistant Jim Schwartz is Jim Schwartz. I put four dudes on the line. I put seven dudes in coverage and I send four and I drop seven. And they blended this really, really, really well. They have a great run defense. They have an awesome uh, blitz package where they send guys from depth and drop dudes off the line and confuse you. It's a really, really interesting, well-coached team. What they can be hit on is outside receivers having big games. Uh, Stephon Diggs, uh, 12 catches on 15 targets, 148 yards and three touchdowns. T. Higgins, just this last week, seven out of nine, 114 and a touchdown. Matt Collins for the Raiders. This was early, week three, eight for 11, 153 yards and one touchdown. Your outside contested catch adjust to the ball receivers can be successful against talented corners, Christian Fulton and Roger McCreary, good players, but smaller players. They can, they'll cover you well. They just, Roger McCreary's got like 28 and 7 eighth inch arms. The, the, the yeah. range of the, the catch point is a little bit limited. A.J. Brown, the way the Eagles have used him, has been a down uh, a downfield contested catch, adjust to the football player. They use him on these one-on-ones. Think about the way they use him on that Steelers game. And even Devontae Smith can do that to some degree. So the Titans run defense, one of the best in the league. Eagles are not going to have the same success as they did against the Packers running the football and just kind of being a, a one-dimensional team. They're going to be forced to throw it, but they match up well in the passing game, especially with A.J. Brown going against these smaller corners. A.J. wins so much with size. I think you get a huge A.J. Brown revenge slash homecoming slash you guys traded me game 
And I still think it's close, but I think it's enough that the Eagles win. However, the AJ matchup is the linchpin matchup when the Eagles have the ball. If Brown's winning, the Eagles are winning. If Brown's not winning, the Eagles don't have a shot to move the ball on the Titans. As an Eagles fan, have you, like what, the AJ Brown trade? Mm -hmm. Are you a 10 out of 10 with it? An 8, a 7? Has it been slightly disappointing? It seems like he's been a little up and down. No, I, I, w- I would say I'm like 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10. Okay. He's been up and down in large part because the Eagles are extremely uh, pointed, extremely specific in the matchups they hunt on a week-to-week basis, right? Like the game he had against the Steelers. Huge volume, chucking to him down the field, winning man coverage, one-on-one, three touchdowns, A.J. Brown super dominant. And then like a week later, they go to place the Texans and... The Eagles don't really throw to A.J. Brown in zone coverage. When they get zone, they throw underneath the Dallas Goddard, and they throw underneath Devontae Smith, and they run their RPOs. That's what they want to be. They're very, if you give us X, we will take Y sort of an offense, which I think is the right way to call plays when you have a guy like Jalen Hurts. Because if, hey, you're just going to let us run it on you, we're just going to run it on you. We're not going to force ourselves into being like a high-volume passing team. So A.J. and also with Devontae, who like... The film of Devontae Smith is nuts, man. Devontae could walk. I, I think Shield and I did it on Philly Special. He could walk in like 10 teams right now and be their wide receiver one in terms of his talent level. He's not going to be a thousand yard receiver probably because they just throw, throw the ball enough. But you're not looking at that like top 10 pick of Devontae Smith or the trade of AJ Brown going, oh, these guys are busts. They're not putting up Justin Jefferson numbers. They're not putting up Tyreek Hill numbers. You're just saying, hey, this, this is a balanced offense. So it's not going to have that you know the the we always pour targets into AJ Brown every single game sort of sensation that you see for teams like Jefferson and Hill so on and so forth. I have Devonte on two of my teams fantasy and it seems like he's always open and I always feel like he could have 160 yep. yards in any game but as as you said like they take whatever's happening last week Green Bay's like hey just feel free to run on us and then we're going to rush Hurts by take him on the outside and he'll just step up and scramble for 18 yards and we're not going to change anything. So it wasn't going to be a gigantic Devonta Smith game, but I think he's really good. It's weird because you're right. If he's on how many other teams he would be, I don't know if he's Jefferson, but Mm -hmm. like if you switched him and chase on the Bengals, is it that different? I think I think Chase, what Chase gives you in terms of like his build and his ability to break tackles changed it a little bit. Chase is so, so good after the catch. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'd be curious what if you put Devontae Smith and Brandon Ayuk's shoes, what things looked like then. Oh, I, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah. So Ayuk, I, and, and again, like Ayuk is probably a little bit better of a tackle breaker, probably a little bit better of a blocker because he is a little bit more dense. Devontae is just so thin. But in terms of the ability to adjust, snap off routes, and then and then break angles after the catch. That he's a little bit of a, a mini Ayuk in that regard. Ayuk, T. Higgins, and Devontae Smith are like, you know, them and, and Chris Godwin, leaders in terms of like the wide receiver twos. And it's interesting to think about them in, in different offenses. But if you put Devontae in like a run after the catch Shanahan style offense, he'd he'd do wicked stuff, man. It'd be awesome to see. Well, I have a newsflash for you. I'm taking, I think I'm taking the Titans as one of the underdog parlay picks this week. Yeah, I I, I think Titans cover. I'd, uh, she'll pick the Titans to win. I picked the Eagles to win. It's going to be a tight game. Uh, it was The line was about five and a half earlier in the week. I've seen some four and a halfs today. I take it up to four. Uh, Tennessee plays these these one possession games and the Eagles have shown that they'll make mistakes and let teams back into games. They're they're not as mature as we may have thought they were when they're on their 7-0, and 8-0, and 9-0 run. Some turnover regression is part of that. I do think the Titans have a very earnest shot to beat the Eagles. And if they do, it's going to be a nightmare of a game because it's going to be Derrick Henry 33 carries 174 yards two touchdowns just like a a total grinder that makes me want to pull the hair out of my skull 
Well, I said to Schrager, I like that Tennessee loss last week and Philly had a circle jerk win where everybody just went nuts about how incredible <laughs> and what a juggernaut they is. You never yeah. want to take the team after the circle jerk win. And then the, Tennessee is just a good matchup for them. They're the number one run defense Very the league since week three. Like they, so they're going to, I think it's a nice test for your team because you're going to have to play a team like this in the playoffs where they're going to be like, look, you're just not going to run the ball that well today. What else you got? Yes. And you're right. Uh, maybe this is the big AJ Brown game. I couldn't agree more. I, I've said the Titans are kind of like mini San Francisco in terms of how that defense works. We yeah. Front four gets pressure for us. We play quarters. We rotate. We'll do some weird blitzes at random times. That is, it's very familiar to the 49ers family. And if the Titans run the ball well on offense, stop the Eagles run on defense, they get off the field on third downs and they grind this thing out, that's exactly how San Francisco likes to win their football games. Very similar formula. Uh, so it, it very much is a bit of a litmus test what the Eagles might look like if you see a Niners playoff game. You and Shale are in on Sirianni, right? Yes, the Pander King. He He's built for Philly. Philly's built for him. Good. I think he's been really impressive this year. I like his demeanor on the sidelines, too. I think the game management's been really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think he's a good coach. I don't know if he's a top five yeah. coach for me, but I think he's top 10. It uh, It's very funny because when Doug really launched with the Eagles in his second season, a lot of people wanted him to be coach of the year. He didn't get it because Sean McVay took the league by storm that season 2017. Mike McDaniel, who is kind of the next Sean McVay, in my opinion, yeah, is taking the league by storm in 2022. You know who probably deserves to be second in coach of the year voting behind McDaniel? Nick Sirianni. And, and, I'd and put Vrabel yeah. in there, too. Vrabel yeah, Bra- probably three. Vrabel's got the... Uh, the like lifetime achievement, he should always be top three. Like every yeah. like he won it last year, and I was like, oh, that's right, he did win it last year because he feels like he should always. He and Belichick should just get awards for just like, hey, you guys always do a great job. Congratulations, moving on. The the seven and four with all the injuries they had, the fact that they almost won that Malik Cooker game, like just an incredible year by him. What's your next matchup? Uh, Patrick Mahomes versus Lou Anarumo. This was the defining matchup of the AFC Championship game last year. Lou Anarumo, for those who don't know, Big Lou, is the defensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. Love this guy. And, yeah. and, and he's gotten head coach buzz. I'm very glad he has. I'm not sure he'll take it because he strikes me as the kind of guy who like kind of just wants to coach defense and then go home and see his kids for the rest of his life. But like, who will yeah. see? We'll see. Who knows? The thing about Anarumo that's most impressive is that a lot of good defensive coordinators coach their stuff, they coach it well, they do what they do, and then they get the right personnel for it, they get the right body types, they know some of the change-ups they need to pitch, and then they dictate, they dominate, right? D'Amico Ryans with, with the Dolphins, or with the Niners, excuse me. We play quarters, we rush with four, we dominate. Here we go. And Aruma's more in the Belichick vein, where he'll run a, something out in week seven that he wasn't doing in week one. He'll change a look here and change a look there. Like against the Titans, they're running bare fronts with Sam Hubbard on the inside. They got two defensive tackles on the field. They're moving guys around. Like they, they, they do a crazy number of things. Most notably, against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in that AFC Championship game, the Bengals, uh, the Bengals dropped eight. They dropped eight defenders on 35% of their passing plays. So eight in coverage, three guys rushing. Huge number, astronomical number. The only other guy in the league who was comfortable dropping eight at these high of rates in a single game was Bill Belichick. He'd done it a couple times and against Mahomes in the past couple of years. Mahomes really, really struggled against drop eight in that game. He had negative 14.4 pass EPA, seven for 13. He threw an Wait, hold on one second with that. When when the drop eight, so part of that is you're basically daring the other team to run or you're just trying, yeah. to, con- you're trying to confuse them with the coverage because you never know which eight. But if it's eight going yeah. back, you know it's eight anyway. So... It's a what do you think question. the Chiefs learned from that? It's a great question. So, one, are you are you challenging the opposing team to run? 
a little bit because typically you'll be in like two high shells and light boxes regardless. That extra player you drop is going to have a run pass key though. So he's going to be on the line of scrimmage. And when he gets an a, a offensive lineman coming right at him, looking like he's run blocking, he'll play run defense. It's not like he's dropping right at the snap, right? Yeah. So he's still going to be involved in the run fit. So it's not like they're playing with three down defensive linemen. That's not the case. So it's a little bit of a run challenge, but not so much. Secondly, what are you doing in coverage? That's the really cool thing about Lou Anarumo, right? Is like a, a lot of like the drop eight stuff that you might run is like, okay, run, you know, three deep safeties and five underneath, right? You see that in college. Well, Anarumo would run like man coverage with three, like five guys on five guys, and then three bonus dudes, like one deep middle safety, another guy on Mahomes, another guy robbing, just kind of floating around. He'd run, he'd drop one of the ends and have him kind of spy Mahomes from one side, and they'd force Mahomes out of the pocket a certain direction. He was really creative with the eight players he had. We don't see a lot of drop eight in the NFL, so the rules are very nebulous. He would run Tampa two, and he would change who the Tampa dropper is. They just, with that extra body, they're creating, like you say, a lot of confusion. And so Mahomes was challenged in that game. Either get rid of the ball right now, like, okay, get rid of the ball, go. Give it to your read. Let the players make the plays for you. Throw underneath. Or try to do your usual scramble drill stuff. Try to do your usual chaos stuff. And that doesn't work when there's an extra body back there, right? Oh, Travis Kelsey, go sit down in space. We've got three dudes around Travis Kelsey. There ain't a lot of space. <laughs> you know, so yeah. you, you really put Mahomes in an awkward spot for how he likes to play. That was last year. Last year, Mahomes, uh, EPA per drop back against drop eight, negative 0.1. This season, 0.42. One of the league's best drop, uh, passers against drop eight. He's throwing the ball much shallower and getting a lot more yak. This is the change the Chiefs offense made when they got rid of Tyreek Hill, brought in Juju Smith-Schuster. Do you think it was partly because of that Bengals game? Yes. It's, it, it, it's, it's part of that. Another part of it is Mahomes choosing to change how he plays, right? And this is the thing about Mahomes that has always been most impressive. Like the arm, the no-look passes, the sidearm nonsense, whatever you want. The thing about Mahomes that is shocking is that more than most quarterback, any other quarterback in the league, he changes his play style. He, he, he will change the way he plays the game. He's mature enough to say, yes, I'm this talented, but sometimes I just have to dump the ball off to Isaiah Pacheco. And so I'm just going to... And he has the humility and the self-control to do that. And so Anarumu, one of your best changing, molding, throw different pitches at your defensive coordinators against Mahomes, who has changed his play style since the last time that Lou saw him. Huge, huge, huge AFC playoff-defining matchup once again, because... Lou's going to have new stuff for Mahomes, and Mahomes is going to have a different play style than Lou's seen before. So it's new challenges. Very interested to see what, what the Bengals' defense brings out. I think Mahomes still has the advantage, especially you no know, Cheeto Awuzie, the, the star corner for the Bengals. He's yeah. injured this year. But Lou is a great uh, uh, signal of what other teams might start to do against your offense because he's very good at building these game plans. You know, I was looking, I've been fascinated by Lou because he it, the, just what the Bengals do in the second half, there's really nothing like it right now. And I was looking at his uh, Wikipedia a few days ago. He spent five years at Harvard on the coaching staff. Then he was at Marshall and Purdue. He was the D-backs coach for Miami for five years. He was the interim defensive coordinator there for a tiny bit. D-backs coach for the Giants and then landed with the Bengals really three years ago. He's from Staten Island. This is the first time mm -hmm. he's even been at D.C. Like three years ago, he didn't even have yeah. that job. It's like an all-time late bloomer. You're right. Like I could totally see him being intimidated by the head coaching job stuff because I do think he'll be the number one candidate or at least yeah. in the top three. Uh, Ivy League, man. Come on now. We had Lou at Harvard, Mike McDaniel from Yale. We're, we're doing it, baby. We're finding Who the knew? geniuses. Get them in the building. I asked you about a bet I was thinking about with the Bengals game where the Chiefs win the first half and the Bengals win the game, which is plus 800 on FanDuel, which... 
basically mirrored what would happen in the playoffs last year, where the Chiefs almost put the game away in the first half. They didn't. Bengals hung around. They do, they do Bengals second half things. Get a play from Chase. Chase does really well against the Chiefs. That's another thing. It looks like he's mm-hmm. going to be back. I kind of like the Chiefs. I don't know how to play. I mean, I'm sorry. I kind of like the Bengals. And I'm not sure whether I just suck it up and take the Bengals money line or try to get goofy with that eight to one or whatever. Like, is it stupid a bit against the Chiefs? I do feel like they're a little bit vulnerable, especially if it's just Pacheco and that's it as a running back. I don't know. I I, I feel like they're beatable. As much as you I know, like them, they're my favorite yeah. AFC team. The red zone efficiency for the Chiefs was a little bit wonky last week. I think it hit how well they played against the Rams. They had that game they did against the 49ers. They put 40 points on them, scored 30 points in the second half. And then yeah. since then, the Niners haven't given up a second half point. The Chiefs are are steamrolling people right now. If you like the Bengals to keep it close and you don't know like if you like the spread or not, the total's worth, I think, half a look. Just because yeah. I'd be very surprised if the Bengals win a game where the Chiefs are really low scoring for four quarters, which I know like relative to Chiefs' expectations, they were low scoring against the Bengals in the playoff game. I don't think that happens again, given the, the updates that Mahomes has made to this uh, to this this passing attack. Worth remarking, Mahomes currently right now by efficiency numbers, EPA, success rate, having the best season of his career. We don't talk about this because it's kind of expected that Mahomes is always the best forever. But the best season of his career, this guy was the best quarterback in the league the last few years, happening right now. So Mahomes is... is you know, 2.0 evolving. And that's just a hard challenge well, to keep that would, down for four quarters. I would assume as he moves through his twenties, he's going to continue to get better each year until he hits 29, 30, right? Just seems logical. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. But like he, he was having seasons that were like top 10 ranked by EPA <laughs> right. for drop back yeah, fair. over the last decade, 15 years. And so you're kind of like, all right, well, he can't really get that much better. Can he? And well, turns out he can a little bit. I said this to Schrager that, the Forrest Gump part of this game, like the Forrest Gump analysis, which I'm trying to do a little more of, but not because I, I feel like that's one of the things that I've been overthinking some stuff with the picks. I think since he really needs this game, if they lose, they're seven and five, the Baltimore, the China pass Baltimore in the division becomes tougher, but then they have Cleveland at Tampa, at New England, home Buffalo, home Baltimore left. I like that they're in kind of, if you're looking at this, if you're since you're like, hey, every game's a playoff game now for us. Like, let's try to win our division. Let's also, like, we're not that far away from being the eight seed. So we just got to go, and it's got to start this week. It's in Cincinnati. Schrager was saying how it's the biggest home game, probably regular season game in the recent history of Cincinnati. Mahomes coming to town. I think there's going to be real energy. And also, they're finally healthy. And they have been healthy, really, yeah. all together, all year, except for the one cornerback. DJ Reader coming back to this team for the Titans game specifically was such a very clear, huge boost. If you want to go like, yeah, do it, if you, if you do a list of like, these are the no name stars in the NFL, that the average fan should know. And your list doesn't start with DJ reader, defensive tackles for the Bengals. I do not respect the list. He is so integral to this team. And yeah. single handedly was just like, they had a backup center in for the Titans and was just eaten for four quarters. That Derrick Henry performance, like I want to say what 2.2 yards per carry on 20 plus carries. All DJ Reader, hugely mm. important player to this team. And it's, a, it's what allows them to get away with, like you say, some of the, the drop eight stuff and some of the, the weakness in run defense. Give uh, quickly just here, your two more matchups. Get, let's rip through them really quick. Yep. Okay. Uh, my fourth one is Justin Jefferson versus non-Sauce Gardner cornerbacks for the, the, the New York mm. Jets. Uh, Jefferson right now leads the league in yards per route run from the slot, 3.63. Next closest is Tyreek Hill, 3.15. And they play him in the slot a decent amount. 
The Jets do not travel corners. Sauce Gardner, rookie out of Cincinnati, fourth overall pick, uh, uh, you know, a leader in the clubhouse for defensive rookie of the year. Incredible film. All these targeted stats are insane. But the Vikings can move Jefferson and Sauce won't follow him. The Robert Sala plays quarters cover three. They're going to leave him on the outside. So DJ Reed, who's, who's their right corner, just Jefferson on the left side of the formation. I like DJ Reed. Yeah, who's been playing very well. And Michael Carter, the second, their slot, second year man out of Duke, who's been really solid for them this year. Hugely important players against mm. Justin Jefferson. You're not going to see, like, people are, uh, people, Sauce got asked, like, how do you feel about the Jefferson match? Well, I'm looking forward to it. The Vikings aren't going to give it to you. They have no reason, no incentive to leave Jefferson there, and they haven't done it over the course of the season. Jefferson's going to play from the inside. It's going to be critical for Carter and DJ Reed, who played well, to really step up against Jefferson. The, the, the Jets are going to score points. The Jets are, are, Mike White, Garrett Wilson, they're going to score points on this Vikings defense. It's a question of the Vikings uh, uh, having a good offensive outing against a really good four-down rush, which we saw what happened against the Cowboys. They got pants around their ankles. They couldn't do anything against against a dominant four-down rush team. They need Jefferson to get a working early and often, and they need to do it from inside of the slot. Huge game from Michael Carter the second, unheralded star for that Jets defense. It's so funny. I was so excited for the Sauce-Jefferson matchup, but you're right. If they just move them around and play them next to the tight end and all this stuff, if the Jets aren't going to move Gardner, we're not going to get it. I do like their D-backs. I mm-hmm. think the Jets are underrated. I mean, I, I like them in the game, and I think yeah. the line's fair. The Minnesota by three is probably the right line. You could even, I think it'll get to two and a half by game time. What's your fifth matchup? Fifth one is uh, Scott Turner, offensive coordinator for the Washington football team, commanders, uh, against Wink Martindale, the DC for the Giants. This Ooh. game has uh, over 40% points of playoff leverage in it for the winning team, right? Right now, both teams have about a two-thirds chance to make the playoffs. The loser goes down to like 25% chance, right? This is the race for the NFC wildcard, interdivisional game, teams that haven't played each other yet, and they're going to play again in three weeks. The most important playoff game, it's it's not Bengals-Titans. It's not Dolphins-Niners, not Eagles-Titans. It is this game, Washington against, against uh, uh, the Giants. Scott Turner's offense has been running the ball really well since Brian Robinson stepped in as the starting running back and since Carson Wentz went out. They're the a top five most run-heavy team in the league, and they run with pre-snap motion. Wink Martindale runs man coverage. And if you're going to run man coverage against motion, guys are going to be running around, they're going to be spinning, they're going to go this way, that way, bumping over, and it's chaos. Mike Tanier on Mina Kimes podcast with a great stat. Uh, the Giants run defense, bottom three in the league in yards per carry allowed and in success rate allowed against running plays on which there is pre-snap motion. There's a way that this becomes Washington walking it down the field on the Giants the same way they did on the Eagles with Brian Robinson with a decent offensive line, four yards on a cloud of dust. Martindale has to, has to, this is why he got fired with the Ravens, has to be able to change his defensive approach when it's weak. We don't really see him do it, and he hasn't really done it with mm. the Giants. So if you're look, uh, a game that I like this week is Washington uh, to cover. I like Washington's team total over as well. It. Yep. And I think it's because Martindale continues to allow, allow his Achilles heel to be his Achilles heel. This Washington team, not dangerous, not scary. But no, say get, it. They're they're like a six seed, seven seed. They're, and they're, they're and, a top 12 team. Right. And, and they're getting Chase Young back and they have a takeover unit. This defensive line can dominate you. If, if everybody's hot, if Young's good, they've won, they've won six or seven games. Yeah. That's not so, nothing. Exactly. It's the sort of thing where you're like, all right, like Taylor Heineke, you know, doesn't really worry me too much. Benjamin St. Juice is a corner I can take advantage of. Oh, they're not that scary. Yeah, but if you if you play them for four quarters, it doesn't matter what's happened in the past. You can't deal with this defensive line. They're going to cause problems. So if I'm an NFL NFC fan, which I am the Eagles, and I'm trying to figure out who I want to see in the playoffs, I'd much rather see the Giants than Washington. And I fear that's not going to be the case because I think Washington wins this one. 
Couldn't agree more. Would you take Washington minus two and a half or would you go Washington money line with the just under a 52 and a half to get even odds? I like Washington minus two and a half. Uh, I, I like the spread a little bit more. Uh, you're neither one of these offenses are explosive though. So the under is also the, the lean I have on the total. Yeah, because the thing I was thinking was Washington's only scored 30 points once and it was a fluke because it was one of those dumb lateral touchdowns at the end. I don't see the Giants Against getting, my Eagles. Yeah, I don't see the Giants getting a 23, 25 points, especially with the way Barkley looks these days. So, all right, I'll figure it out. Um, the only other one, just quickly, was the the, uh, the Saints-Bucks game. Just give me your 30 seconds on what you see from the Bucks because to me... I just think they're they're not good. I don't think anyone in the NFC South is good. But even like nope. that line where it's like Bucks three and a half over the Saints, and I'm like, why isn't this line like? Why am I getting an extra half point with the Saints? This is like one crappy team against another crappy team. I don't think, yep. I don't think the Bucks like they could move the ball and their DVOA and some of their advanced stats look better than maybe it is because they're so bad in the red zone. But I just think once they get inside the twenty, it's so hard for them to score. Mike Evans doesn't look like the same guy to me. Yep. Defensively, they they lost their right tackle, which I think is going to be a big deal. Brady doesn't really move, and mm-hmm. I just I'm not sure, I'm not sure I see it. I could I was thinking about the Saints either plus three and a half or putting them in underdog parlay. Underdog parlay makes sense. Uh, three and a half I think is, is fine as well. I'm personally on the under in this game at forty and a half. Dennis Allen, the Saints defense coordinator, typically has done a really good job against Tom Brady in this offense over the course of, of his time there with the Saints. Uh, I've been on I've been on this for the Bucks since the beginning of the season. I haven't wavered. It's not a good not a good team. They're not well coached. Uh, Todd Bowles no. and Byron Leftwich are not interested in winning football games. They're interested in doing what they like doing, and then they think it'll win them football games despite contrary evidence as plain as the nose in their face. It's very disappointing and frustrating. Bruce Arians was doing a lot for this team, and Bruce also had his own game management issues, and still was doing a lot for this team. The Tristan Wirfs injury also uh, really just neuters the the only vestige of, of hope along this offensive line. Brady under constant pressure, not able to hook up with Mike Evans consistently. They can't run the football. Like once you can't run the football against the Browns, you officially cannot run the football. Period. It's just you're you're out. It's, you don't have a chance. Uh, I don't see the way the Bucks move the ball effectively. And then the Saints, yeah, the the uh, the the red zone production against the Niners hid what was honestly like a decent offensive out outing. I think the Saints, like with Andy Dalton, are Fine. Chris Olave healthy really helps. Juwan Johnson's been solid for them at tight end. I think like uh the the three and a half is the right lean with the Saints, but the under is where I, I'm I'm stronger. I think this is just a, a slobber knocker and an ugly game that I inevitably will lose on like a defensive touchdown with four minutes left. Bucks points since week four. 21, 18, 3, 22, 16, 21, 17. Yeah. It's bad. Since and so, week yeah. four, they're basically middle of the road DVOA and um, and they're awful in the red zone. They're 25th. And I think it's cost them games left and right. It's certainly, you know, you watch them just go three and out, punting, and uh, all they needed was three more points in that Cleveland game. It's over, and they couldn't even get first downs. Yeah, and Fournette's uh, back practicing this week, and Fournette is a net negative for this team because Brady yeah. loves him. They use, they give him 20-plus touches, and he's not as good as Rashad White. So Fournette back helps me. Yeah, I just wish I liked the Saints more, but I think I'm leaning the Bucks. All right. Good to see you. Uh, good luck against Mike Vrabel and the Tennessee <sighs> Titans this weekend. Say hi to our friend Sheil, and I hope you have a good cheese to go along with the game. Appreciate it, Billy. Take care. This episode is supported by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? 
you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Million Dollar Picks Week 13. I went back to the drawing board. I've been getting killed this year. There's a lot of reasons for it. Warren Sharp on my podcast on Tuesday pointed out, this is not a year for parlays and teasers. Got it. Noted. About 12 weeks too late. I also got away with the stuff that used to work for me in the past. I got too bogged down in numbers and matchups and advanced metrics. And I, I, I got to go back to the Forrest Gump stuff. Just the dumb common sense. Wait a second. Sniff test. I went back, I read every football column I wrote in 2010, which was a year that I did really well gambling. I almost made top five in the uh, super contest that year at Westgate. Charlie Whitehurst ruined it for me. Fuck that guy, by the way. I would have finished, I think, fifth or fourth. But part of what I did back then was I would just, you know, look at stuff like, well, wait a second. That team needs the game more than this team and stuff like that. I'm going back to that. We're going back to that with a comeback edition of Million Dollar Picks. I am down right now with a number that starts with a four and ends with a million. And I'm not going to tell you what it is because we're going to win most of this back this week. We're going big this week. That's how confident I am. I'm back. I'm I'm fucking Rocky doing pull-ups in the cabin in Russia. That's what you're looking at. I also was really sick this week and I'm on steroids now and I feel like I have the strength of 10 men and I'm winning these bets. I'm just telling you. There's also a holy cross wrinkle coming. Stay tuned for that. First bet. It's part of my let's make the NFC South super weird plan. We need the Falcons to lose and we need New Orleans to beat Tampa. And then basically the NFC South goes into a washing machine and you should just pour some septic tank fluid in there. Septic tank water, septic tank mud. I don't know what it is, but pour it in there because that will be the worst division we've ever had. I love the Steelers. The Steelers treated me beautifully last week against Indianapolis on Monday night in real life. Um, I think they're pretty frisky now. Everybody's back. TJ Watt's back. Fitzpatrick's back. Tomlin's like kind of incapable of not at least going 500. Rest of the way, they go at Atlanta, home Baltimore, at Carolina, Vegas, at Baltimore, Cleveland. Notice two Baltimore games there. They're kind of not out of the division. It's kitchen sink week for them every week from here on. Playing Atlanta. Pittsburgh's already played the toughest schedule in the league. Now it's about to get a lot easier. They got killed by Buffalo, got killed by Philly, got killed by Miami. That's fine. Last three weeks, beat New Orleans, almost beat Cincy, beat Indianapolis. They have the eighth rushing defense by DVOA right now, which is important because that's really all Atlanta can do is run the ball. Atlanta, five wins. Seattle, Cleveland, Carolina, Chicago, all kind of pulled out of their ass. San Francisco was their only impressive one. Marriott has only thrown 200 plus yards once since week two. They have the worst passing defense in the league. And this is just, to me, a common sense thing. Pittsburgh's going one way. Atlanta's going the other way. NFC South, when you can bet against them, do it. I'm taking Pittsburgh minus one and a half in Atlanta for $1 million. That's pick one. Pick number two is another common sense thing. On paper, Washington at the Giants. Why is Washington favored? These teams are equal. 
Take the Giants, lively home dog. All I do is I sit home and I watch football every week. Washington is better than the Giants. The Giants, whatever happened those first six weeks when they were duct taping weird shit together, that's done. It's a wrap. We're over. This is a different part of the Giants season now. Washington's won six out of seven. They lost to Minnesota by three. They just beat an Atlanta team, which they got a little lucky, right? It was the last play of the game. Easily could have been a touchdown. Maybe they lose. But they beat an Atlanta team that's built pretty similar to the Giants. They're not a high-scoring team either. Washington's only scored 30 points once. They needed one of those end-of-the-game lateral stupid plays where you get the touchdown and then everybody goes nuts because it ruined their fantasy or their gambling or their tease or whatever. That was how they passed 30 points in the Philly game. I don't think this would be a high-scoring game. And I think Washington is going to win. And one of the reasons I think they're going to win is because I don't think this is the same Giants team anymore. Barkley, 26 carries, 61 yards the last two weeks. Ever since like his arm got pulled out of his body and they kind of rammed it back in, doesn't seem like he's been the same guy. And I think the t- league has figured out the Giants. I don't think they're a 7-4 and four team. I think they're a very well-coached team. I think they were smoking mares it and snuck, but now we're in, we're in December. You can't do that anymore. Washington's better. Chase Young's back. They're not going to be able to run the ball in Washington. The only thing I worry about, I'm going to mention this, we could have the Heineken game where he just sucks, where they blitz him and he makes some mistakes. They fall behind. He has five picks, whatever. I'm acknowledging that. I'm not that afraid of it. We're going to take the Washington money line and parlay it with the Washington under 52 and a half. And we're going to put $1 million on it. That's our second game. Third game, the Titans, which we discussed in detail with Ben Solak. They lose to Cincy last week. No shame in that. I think Cincy might end up being one of the best teams in the league by the end of the Sunday. We'll get to them in a second. They had the first in the league rushing defense in DVOA after week three, since week three. Phillies 10 and one. Just came off one of those games where they looked so awesome on Sunday night. Everybody went nuts. We all had the jerk circle. Oh my God, Philly. 400 yards, nobody's done that since 1948. They're feeling great about themselves. Tennessee's not feeling great. Tennessee's seven and four. They have two games with Jacksonville left in the division. They're going to take this game seriously. They know they match up well with Philly. They got A.J. Brown on the other side. They know he's going to be trying to have the revenge game. And I think they hang around. I think this line's too high. I think this line should be Titans getting three. They're getting four and a half. Thought about putting them in underdog parlay. Talked about that with Schrager. I think we're better off grabbing the four and a half because I feel like we're getting a point and a half free. You might get the cheap touchdown late. And I think this is going to be a really, really good test for Philly. It's going to be a good game. I think it's close. We're betting a million on the Titans plus four and a half. That is bet number three. I have a conditional bet. Haven't done this before, probably because I'm stupid, but we do these picks on Thursday. Things change. I want to bet the Raiders plus one right now against the Chargers. But I don't know if Mike Williams is playing. I think Jacobs is going to play. And Jacobs was awesome last week. And it seems like he's going to play. I don't want to bet the Raiders if Mike Williams ends up playing. Because I think he changes the Chargers, especially in the red zone. Chargers last five weeks, they're two and three. They beat Atlanta and Arizona by four points total. They're six and five for the year. They got Miami next week. They got Tennessee the week after. This could be little stretch here where the Chargers go sideways. So it makes me think Mike Williams will try to play. And if he tries to play, I want to stay away from this. I don't mind Vegas though. Vegas, four and four last eight weeks. 
They're actually ranked slightly higher at DVOA than the Chargers, but it seems like they at least have their mojo back for like team that hangs around and then pulls some weird play out of their ass near the end of the fourth quarter. OT, conditional $1 million bet on the Raiders plus one. Only if Mike Williams does not play. If Mike Williams plays, scrap, cancel, rip up the ticket. We're not, we're not playing it. But if Mike Williams does not play, we're playing it. I have a tease for $500,000 featuring the Cincinnati Bengals plus two and a half at home against Kansas City. We're going to raise that up to plus eight and a half because I think that's going to be a close game that Cincinnati can possibly win. I think Cincinnati's a really good team. Everybody's back except for their starting corner. Um, they can stop the run. They know how to play this Chiefs team. They have a great defensive coordinator, which we covered with Ben Solak. And their offense has a little bit of a look back. Like Mixon goes out, P. Ryan comes in, he's fine. Actually, better than I think people thought. Chase is coming back now. Great, but but uh, their receivers were good without Chase. And now you're adding Chase to that. Little Burrow-Mahomes thing here. Biggest home game in Cincinnati regular season recent history. I think they at least hang around. And we have another bet where we're going to take them to actually win. We're going to tease them up to eight, plus eight and a half. And we're going to college for the other half of that tease. That's right. Let me see. My school, the College of the Holy Cross, got a first round bye in their NCAA playoffs. And they're hosting UNH in a game that I should be going to, but for a variety of reasons I could not, including the fact that uh, I've had the Ebola virus for five weeks. Now I'm on steroids and I'm not going to get in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Holy Cross favored by minus seven and a half against UNH in Worcester. And they're going to come through and they're going to win. And then they're going to play South Dakota State uh, next week on the road. I have so much faith in Holy Cross. I am so grateful and happy that Holy Cross football is good again, that we're throwing them into million-dollar picks. And you know what? I'll give money to the school this year, too. I was so mad. I didn't give money for years because I was so mad that they destroyed our football and basketball programs. But now they seem like they care again. They have a good athletic director. They have a great football coach. I'm back in. We're putting them in the million-dollar picks. Holy Cross down to minus one and a half. We're putting $500,000 on that. Holy Cross to minus one and a half. Cincinnati up to plus eight and a half. And then two small ones. Remember I mentioned the Bengals? There's a scenario where Casey wins the first half and the Bengals win the game. That is plus 800 on FanDuel. And as we talked about, the Bengals are so good at adjusting at halftime. I, I just have to put 50K on that. Just, to, just a little taster, just to wet my beak. Last but not least, Underdog Parlay, which we've hit six this year in uh, 12 weeks. Not bad. We're actually, we're six, 19 losses. But if you do the math, we're actually winning an underdog parlay. So I wish I had been more of them. We do the Saints. Back to our NFC South is getting weird. They, uh, they are three and a half point underdogs against Tampa. We're doing the money line on that. And we're doing the money line on the Jets who are playing in Minnesota. I'm all in on this Mike White thing. Just because he's not Zach Wilson. That's really the only reason. I think they could potentially beat Minnesota. Great front four. Minnesota, a little smoke and mirrorsy. Even in DVOA, the, uh, the Minnesota's 22nd in DVOA. The Jets are ninth. I think the Jets are good. I, I'm just, just that's, my, that's my opinion. I think they can go in and win. They're plus 132. 
throw that with the uh, with the Saints and the Bucks game. That gets us to plus five twelve, and we're gonna have to put a hundred k on that. I think the Saints. I don't think the Bucks are good. I was so unimpressed with them last week as they stole money from me uh, in real life when I had them against the Browns. So we're gonna put a hundred k Saints Jets parlay plus five twelve. There was one other bet I really liked. It involved the Browns who were playing the Texans, and I decided not to do it. I'm sitting out Browns bets. I don't mean to get all moral. But it's just how I feel this week. I didn't want to, I didn't, didn't want their stink in my million dollar picks if you get my drift. So the Browns are out. I'm not, not doing them, even though I think they're going to beat the Texans. Everybody else is in. We're bringing the pleasant scent of Holy Cross into this. Holy Cross, Saturday, ESPN Plus. I think it's at 12 o'clock ET in uh, round two. And this is the first undefeated football team we've had since I was in college when I was the sports columnist, sports editor. And the play-by-play guy for our team. Go Holy Cross. I'm really proud of you guys. And hopefully you bring some joy and some luck and some happiness and some dollar signs to Million Dollar Picks. Until next week. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I understand that some things you just want to keep private. Maybe it's something you don't want anyone to know. Or maybe you think it's something minor, so why bother? But if you keep everything bottled up, if you let those emotions sit there and fester, it could be really, really bad for you. Sometimes it depends on what kind of family you're from. Like my dad's family is one of those. They bottle everything up, bottle everything up, and then they all just get mad at each other. Listen, talking things through is more helpful than you think. If you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend some therapy. Think about the things you can get out of therapy. First of all, a sounding board. You can learn better coping skills. You can learn how to set some boundaries. Maybe how to empower yourself a little better day to day. And if you want to give therapy a try, well, I have an answer. BetterHelp. A convenient and flexible way since it's entirely online right now. It's easy to get started too. You can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Bill Simmons today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Bill Simmons. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. All right, last but not least, my friend Nathan Hubbard is here. He hosts the Every Single Album podcast with Nor Princiati on The Ringer. He's done a lot of stuff in the music industry and he's my number one music friend that I talk to when things of music happen, just in life. And he's my friend. Um, Christine McVie died, 79 oh. years old, crucial member of Fleetwood Mac, a band that Nathan and I have spent more time just discussing in text or in person than any other band. We're the most fascinated by them. It was my dream documentary forever. It'll never happen because they all... <laughs> the relationships are so combustible. It just could it's never gone. happen. 
it now and now it will never happen. Um, and she, you liked her the most. So I'm just going to let you do your thing on Christine McVie. Well, it's devastating, but I don't think we're surprised, are we? I mean, imagine being the only sane per- person in a band full of maniacs. Stevie and <laughs> right. Lindsay are screaming at each other. Your ex-husband is hunting down the lighting guy you had the affair with. Fucking Mick Fleetwood is eating the couch cushions. It's <laughs> like that would have killed me too, but it's it's hard for two reasons. One is she was the glue of this band. She she wrote half of the songs on the greatest hits album. She wrote, you know, Rumors is a top 10 selling album of all time. She wrote five of the songs on that thing. We just think about Fleetwood Mac being Lindsay Buckingham and Lindsay Stevie and Stevie Nicks. in their relationship. And and the all of the drama that went with those two, but she was the one who wrote the first real hit that took them that that sort of put them on the map after being sort of an adrift band. And for me, she wrote Songbird, which is like the song. It's like a top five love song of all time on Rumors. And she wrote the most songs. She wrote more songs than Stevie or Lindsay on Rumors. This was an incredible musician, an incredible songwriter. And it just, for me, it portends like, the old stars are dying, Bill. We have to get ready. I know. I know. Jagger's 79. McCartney's 80. Paul Simon's 81. And they're all dying from this era that can't exist again. It's not just, it's not like when athletes die. It's like, oh man, I loved watching that guy. But they, they're just replaced by other football players and basketball players. These are rock bands that we're never going to have again. All of the bands in the 70s are in their 70s or 80s. And yeah. she happened to be the oldest one in this band. But it's it's sort of unfair that that she goes first when, you know, I mean, I, the amount of cocaine consumed by that band, <laughs> it, it's that band is basically the prequel to Cocaine Bears. <laughs> <laughs> the she was 79 which I was surprised by because yeah. I guess I had never thought of her age but 79 means that in 1976 she was in her mid 30s yeah so maybe that's why she always seemed a little much mature than everybody else I thought the thing you know the that band is so fascinating for so many different ways I think rumors is one of the five most memorable albums that's been released in my lifetime just for all the drama and all the weird shit that was going on as they were making it and the stories behind it, Silver Spring getting left out and all these variables. Like we, you and I could talk about that album for five hours and she's just levitating over all of it. And it's like, she's like the glue guy in a crazy basketball team, right? The guy is like, Hey, you guys, you can argue with each other and say, it's like, she was on a team with Kyrie and Ben Simmons and James Harden (laughs) and Kyler Murray and just name any other athlete who's always being talked about. And she's just kind of putting hey, up 20 I wrote, and I wrote 10 another song, guys. Yeah. Hey, guess yeah. what? Uh, I Do you like this keyboard lick I put together? Um, she I, got Bill it, Clinton elected. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. Um, Songbird, I think, ends up being her legacy. Yeah. Just as as just the song itself. I think that's that's the go-to. That's where you start. And you always said, I'm sorry, you tempered it. You always said that was the greatest love song ever on the pod. You just said top five. I think you got scared off. But Well, I, it's up there with like Ugly Bitches by Coolio. It's between one of those two. <laughs> uh, I think the thing about Songbird, and it's funny because when even when she would sing it in concert, it just, there was this different vibe in the building for it. 
it's I, I it's kind of indescribable. There's something happening where it's just like as she's singing and the, and like the notes that her voice can hit and what the song's about, and just like it's not a it's not a typical pop song either. No, but you you just she's singing and you just feel like birds should be flying around and you should be outside like on a canoe as this yeah. person like just sings this song and has a choir behind them. That there's never been a pop song quite like that song. No, and and it's it starts. It's two reasons. One is her voice. The second is the way it was recorded. Her voice, like the song is in the key of F, which it, she's this low alto. And the reason the song is incredible is it's uncoverable. Like Willie Nelson covered it, but he just kind of turns it upside down. He doesn't really sing it. It's uncoverable because she, she, like the highest note in the song is a B flat, which is just a little too high for a guy who's a tenor. And it's really hard to sing for a female, even a female who's an alto with the sort of breathiness of her voice because she sings like a fucking songbird. That's really right. what she was. There's this softness and delicacy to it. But so it's it's her voice, which also was the perfect complement to Stevie Nicks. She could sort of sit under Stevie and harmonize in a way that sort of anchored all of the up and down sort of volatility of the way that Stevie would sing. But that's right. also the way they recorded this song. They put her in an auditorium in Berkeley. She wrote the song in 30 minutes in the middle of the night Back then, they have no like tape recorder to, to put it down on. So she's so scared she's going to lose the song. She stays up all night. They at least put it down so she has it. Then they put her in an auditorium. Think how crazy that is, by the I way. I know. Like, nowadays, you just turn your iPhone on. Right. So she's got to stay up all night uh, while the rest of the band, again, is eating the stuffing out of the couches. <laughs> and, and, and just hold down the fucking fort so she doesn't lose this song. They put her in an auditorium with 15 mics all around it. They've got to get it in one take. And that's what's amazing about the recording on Rumors is you can hear the room, right? Steve, yeah. uh, uh, Lindsey Buckingham is strumming a guitar off stage, but it's basically her and a piano. Took them all night to get it, but she stayed up and nailed it. And the way that they put it on the album, right? It's, it's at the end of... You got to remember, this is vinyl that everybody's listening to. So it's the sixth song. It's the last song on the first side. That, that song ends... And you literally have to pick up the needle, turn the thing over. So there's a bunch of space, right? And the next song that they go into is The Chain, which is like the anthem and theme song for Fleetwood Mac. So it, it's a purposeful placement on and also the also an amazing song about a fucked up band and their yeah, weird relationships. Yeah, exactly. Which she, by yeah. the way, also was a, was a writer on. Yeah. Yeah, so that it rumor, just matters. Well, you make an awesome point about how you had to flip the albums and then eventually when we got to CDs, they still were in the mindset of, oh, we're making the album too. And that last song, Before You Flip Over, became an important song, right? Yeah. And it was always like the sixth song, like in this case, the sixth song, and then the first song, which was the seventh song of the other side. That song has to be good too. Right. So they would really construct the album, which is just, I was talking to somebody that we're doing a Music Box season two thing with, and we were just talking about how people construct albums now. Right. And it's just like people used to really care about this. And now it's like, here's a bunch of songs. I think some people put some thought into it, but it's not the same because strategically you had to get it right. Yes. And the first song, how you started the album and how it went through. So to to end the side one with Songbird was actually kind of aggressive. It, it was. And the way to think about this for me is it's a lot like Abbey Road. Abbey Road, all about John and Paul. But George wrote, Here Come the Sun. Here Comes the yeah. Sun. And, and I think about Rumors and Songbird in the same way. It's this moment of pause in between the chaos around it that just is eternal. She writes, don't stop. 
yep. she wrote, you make love and fun. She wrote, Oh daddy, which is, um, probably my least favorite rumor song, but it was really about, uh, it, w- it was <laughs> the lyrics of that song or yeah. something. Yeah. It's about what are the people in the band you could guess as you listen to it. But yeah. Um, but that song ends up bumping Silver Spring, which becomes one of the most controversial coach decisions probably in, in history, but in a weird way, <laughs> makes Silver Spring a bigger song because Silver Spring just becomes this like cult, deep cut Fleetwood yes. Mac fan song. But then when they do the dance in 1997, one of the great YouTube videos of all time. Oh, I think it's the greatest. I actually think it's the number one greatest YouTube video of all time. When they do it and Lindsay doesn't know she's going to go at him and it's about him. And she's also mad that they left the song off the album 21 years and it all comes out and she fucking, her her eyes leave her body for like four yeah, minutes. There's lasers and, coming out of the sockets where and they he's, were. He's just playing the guitar like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> and she's moving closer and closer to him. And then that, ended up making that an iconic song. So in a weird yes. way, it was the best thing that ever happened in the song. But McVie, you know, wrote wrote 50% of the songs, as you said. And then there was that weird thing with her and Stevie, where Stevie becomes a comet in a lot of ways. But McVie's doing just as much work in the band, probably a little more. But Stevie's Stevie. How do you compete with that? I, it, well, and it, it's because Christy McVie was rock and fucking roll. That's how. Like, she didn't yeah. give a fuck. Look, she... She, she really has, didn't. No, she had the affair with the lighting guy, which is her husband was the bass player. It's this fucking rock and roll. She left the band, right? She stopped touring in 90. She like formally retired in 98. She was gone basically for like fucking 20 years. Yeah. Who else walks away from a band at their prime? It's like Robert Plant, Steve Perry. Who else? Henley. Yeah. I mean, but Henley, come on. He, he, he was always going to be in there. The whole band sort of walked away, but she, she was fucking rock and roll. And I think you had to be that to be in a band with Stevie Nicks. And that brings up the interesting question, which is Stevie posted a very heartfelt mm. ri- handwritten note to Instagram yesterday calling Christy McVie her best friend. And I, I think that was legitimate. Do we believe this? Is this like how Barkley said he and MJ were best friends? No, but I, MJ was always rolling with Oak. As you know, I am... I, I mean, we've we've talked about just doing a Fleetwood Mac podcast, but then we thought that would be super weird. We, I mean, it was one of the initial ideas when we were batting around like every single album and stuff yeah, like I know. that. I was like, should we just should we just do ru- an entire podcast about rumors because we were both so fascinated by it? I really think they genuinely loved each other, and I never, I don't think it was competitive at all. I think I, the issues were with the men in the band. I think the men yes. made them get closer together was what was really going on. Well, I mean, all the men in the music industry, they had to sort of team up. But right. they didn't really... Look, when when Stevie had her drug issues for a very long <laughs> period of time... <laughs> for for, for uh, the 70s and 80s? Right. And, not, and into the 90s, she had... Like, they were not together, and she sort of was not saying particularly nice things and she was out. But then they reconnected when she rejoins the band in 2014. But let's be clear, Bill, she's in her 70s. It took yeah. until she was in her 70s for them to reconcile. That's some shit right there. Yeah, and I think Stevie's probably doing more apologizing during that run than than Christine McVie. Yeah. Be my guess. Hey. But it is nice to see two women who sort of weathered the storm and again, stayed rock and roll and stayed together, not be competitive, uh, you know, endure. I just think, I mean, Vegas, what were the odds that Christy would outlive 
Stevie, even though she had five years on her. Well, I thought they complimented each other musically and vocally about as, that's about as good of a combo as you're going to draw up. Yeah. Where it's both of them separately, like, yeah, Stevie had a solo career and all that stuff, but she, to be in this band, being an all-star team was the best possible outcome for her. And then McVie, same thing. Like, you know, and I think, then you look at Lindsay and all the stuff that he brought to the table. God damn, that dude was talented. It is. But, uh, just an amazing band. And then you have Mick Fleetwood <laughs> playing like the C minus drums <laughs> with like a crazy intense look at his face thinking about who he's going to go after that night. Luckier just... drummer, Mick Fleetwood or Ringo oh Starr? No, it, 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 the the drum nerds think Ringo was like pretty high I level know. talented. There's no case for Mick Fleetwood. <laughs> just like <laughs> a lot of charisma. And that's yeah. about it. But yeah, so I feel like, you know, Fleetwood Mac broke up a couple of years ago in the form that they should have been because Lindsay and Stevie had their 19th, whatever. And then Lindsay's they out. And then him. they started suing. Once they started suing each other, they fired him. And once they started suing each other, that was it anyway. But now it's really it. It's never happening again. Is it gone? Yeah, There's that's gone. no Stevie, Lindsay, one last time. No. And I mean, you know my take on this. Like I argue, my friend Hershey, we argue about this. Like he's like, you know, going to see like McCartney. It's like, all right. I don't want to see McCartney's 80. I don't want, I, you know where I stand. I don't want to go. I don't like to see my artists way after it's over. You know, it's like, I, I, I've said this before, but if Bird and Magic were like, we're playing one-on-one pay-per-view tomorrow, I'm like, I don't want to watch that. Yeah. You guys are old. In music, you can get away with a little more. I think some people have been able to cheat it. Like Billy Joel is still really good in concert. I don't know how he does it. But it's fun to go. But he's very careful. You know, there's like 12 a year or 10 a year or whatever. And he still has the energy. But for the most part, like seeing the Rolling Stones at this point, it was embarrassing in the mid 90s. I just think knowing when to walk away is the great skill of the aging musicians. And some of these people do. Some of them don't. Christy McVie understood when it was time to walk away. And she stayed away for a long time. That's a really hard thing to do. The needle in the arm of touring money is oh my thing. God. Well, especially we've talked about this before, but the nostalgia acts make the most money. It's, it's just, it's crazy. But I, I, the big, the reason this one hit deeply is not just because the band and the, and the music means a lot, but because it sort of portends what's coming. And I don't, I'm not excited about Bob Dylan and Robert Plant and Jagger Nelson and, Richards. Yeah. I'm not excited about Spr- Springsteen yeah. will live till he's 120. He's fine. Pr- probably. But even like some of the great ones like Seeger. Yeah. You know, like the Wilson sisters, just these people that you have the classic rock and then you have that second wave from like the late seventies on that really kept it going before, you know, pop started to kind of take over. But, um, I just don't feel like we mourned the jazz greats when they passed in the 50s, I mean, we, in the 40s, yeah. 50s, from the 60s. It's, this is the generation, first generation of real rock stars who didn't have the curse of 27-year-old death like, you know, uh, Hendrix and the, and the like. The, the people who made it are now just being claimed. And, and let's, yeah. let's be clear, they lived, a, they lived rock and roll. What, a, what an ad for smoking that all these people are making it to 80 years old. Oh my God, and, and other stuff. Yeah, I've been thinking about this stuff a lot lately because my son, you know, is in the is in the advanced jazz band in high school. So he's been, he's really getting into jazz and like the form of it, basically. And he's started to like these Sinatra songs. 
So we've been listening to a lot of Sinatra and the Rat Pack. And, mm. and so I, I played him uh, the main event, which is one of my favorite, it, another like great YouTube thing where Sinatra makes his comeback in 1975, right? He's not really Sinatra anymore. He's got the rug on, but he's still fucking cool. He's still Sinatra. Right. And they sell out Madison Square Garden. And Howard Cosell does the intro for him and they treat it like a prize fight. Like the middle of the ring is a ring or the middle of the arena is a ring, a boxing ring. And Cosell does a, we're in Madison Square Garden. And he does this three minute thing. And there he is, the legend, Frank Sinatra, the chairman. (laughs) Carol Channing's over here. And he set it up and Sinatra comes in and he fucking grabs the mic and sings, that's why that lady is a tramp, which is an amazing song. I think that song is canceled. It is like, that's why that chick is a tramp. All these Um, birds. But so much charisma, but he's older. So we're watching some like, Ben, you got to see like earlier Sinatra. Like what? Look at like this 1953 Sinatra where he's just like, so I, I was thinking the main event thing. It was cool. There was a nostalgia thing and he was still good enough, but I wouldn't have wanted to see like 1998 Frank Sinatra. No, he was 82. Right. And like just breathing out Marlboro Reds at that point. Um, <laughs> so the nostalgia can be fun, but you're right. At some point you need to know. And even with Fleetwood Mac, like it's at some point it's time. It's cool when Stevie pops out and, and yeah, has she these showed other things. The, yeah. She showed up at the Harry Styles show and comes out and they did landslide. Great. That's awesome. Well, the flip you know, side of this was your favorite moment of 2022, the random Joni Mitchell comeback. I love the random Joni Mitchell comeback, but Joni Mitchell's 79. And but she was fucking awesome when she sang. It was like, she, what the hell? What's she happening? Was, she was great. She migrated her voice lower and it's a different thing. But th- Joni Mitchell is an artist, not really a star, right? So she, yeah. she sort of figured out how to do it. I, by the way, just here's the last point on Chrissy McVie. Everywhere has more streams than freaking landslide. Now, maybe that's the Chevy electric vehicle commercial and the value of a sink. By the way, Chrissy McVie, no kids, no spouses. Like, who's in the will? (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, but if everywhere has more streams than landslide, that just tells you like the enduring, like very quiet, but massiveness of of her catalog of work. Well, the other thing with rumors, and it's it's eternally a top 10 album of all time, I think. But a lot of the ones in the top 10 are always like the greatest hits albums, right? Yeah, Eagles. Like, yeah, and all that stuff. That's just I mean, a it's Michael flat Jackson. out normal album. Yeah, yeah it's, it's Michael thriller, Jackson, it's Thriller, back I guess. It's Black, Fine, Dark yeah. Side of the Moon. But Eagles Greatest Hits, Hotel California, Shania Twain Come On Over, and it's Rumors. That's that's the list. Oh, so I'm wrong. It's less Greatest Hits and it's more. Shania Twain is in the top 10 all Isn't time. that insane? What album? Come On Over. I'm absolutely stupefied by that. Yeah. She is massive. Hmm. All right. We did it. We. I still f- kind of feel like we should do some sort of rumors deep dive thing. Maybe we should just do it on our own and never release it. It'll be like when... Uh, <laughs> It'll be like any Saturday when we get together. Yes. Yeah, maybe we, should, we just turn it back for that. Get a bottle of wine. Uh, Nathan Hubbard, are you excited to buy the uh, Washington Commanders? Uh, no. I heard you're so, putting together a group. Why would you do this? <laughs> Jeff Bezos, come on, Jeffrey, you can do it. Put your back into it. Oh my God. Can you imagine? You go in, you just, it would be like going to Whole Foods. 
You go in, you just flash your Amazon code, you buy your jersey and you Amazon code again, you get 20 cents off a hot dog. It'd be great. Every Amazon tech executive dome. is going to own a sports team before this is all said and done. Well, you know why? Because tech executives aren't cool. Zuckerberg's going to buy sport, the Steelers. Bu- buying a sports team instantly makes you cool. Like he, you think like Joe Lacob was that cool before he owned the Warriors? No, it's another rich guy. It's why the Warriors are so valuable because the courtsides go for more than anywhere because all the nerds want to be on TV and be associated with something. Yeah. Like yesterday, the Celtics owner, Wick Grosbeck, him and his wife are sitting next to Harry and Kate or William and Kate. Which, which way? That was William and Kate. <laughs> I hope it wasn't Harry and Kate. Maybe <laughs> no, it wasn't rumors. Harry and Kate. That, Speaking yeah, of rumors. William <laughs> and Kate. Yeah. And they would just, Jason Tatum would score and then they would cut to William and Kate politely clapping like they were at Wimbledon. But yeah, Wick Grosbeck's not sitting next to William if he doesn't own the fucking Celtics. So that's why we'll get more tech people owning sports teams. Wearing I'm hoodies. Uh, Nathan, good to see you. Thanks, Bill. All right, thanks to Schrager and Solak and Nathan Hubbard. Thanks to Kyle Creighton as well for producing. I'll see you on this feed on Sunday. Go Holy Cross. I wanna see them on the way to sun.